to the classic podcast mode. Yeah. The dynamic duo returns. Ah, oh, dynamic. Can we have like um, matching, but like different color uniforms? How are they matching like, then? Matching because we're wearing the same thing. I'm envisioning like dungarees and then like a cool shirt underneath it, but like. So hillbilly hipsters. No, I like how you said. No. Which part are you going to take issue with? Hillbilly or hipster? I know why you're saying hillbilly, but to me, dungarees are just like cool, like 90s. I think you're the only person who thinks dungarees are cool. That's not. Apart from our moms, maybe. I fucking love dungarees. Dungarees are so cool and practical, kids. You should wear them everywhere. Whatever. They'll stop you scraping your knees. Anyway, can we get matching outfits? No. So they'll be wearing the same. So we're both wearing dungarees and a cool shirt. But they're different colours. What's a cool shirt? Like plaid? I don't mean like a shirt shirt. I just mean like a t-shirt. Oh, okay. And it'll have our podcast logo on it? Yeah. Our new new podcast art. Yeah, we have brand new podcast art. Brand new coming at you. Super cool, hand-drawn versions of ourselves. Yeah. Because we're so narcissistic. (laughs) That was all we could think of. I love our new podcast so hard. It is pretty it's, cool. It's really pretty. Keep listening to the podcast outro if you want to hear more about its origin and its creator. Yeah, etc. etc. But yeah, it's cool to have new bangy neighbors, by the way, if you can hear that. Sure. It's like very loud bang. I interrupted you. Continue. I also think you were louder than they were. Oh well, whatever. I also don't think the bang is going to be on the like podcast, people so people say, are going to think you're hallucinating. Is that like when people say, the spoiler's scared of you? How is that like, like that? <laughs> the spoiler's not scared of me, okay? It's a fucking spider, and it has eight fucking legs, and it can run really fast, and I'm going to kill it, because sure. I don't want it in my house. In this analogy, are you the spider, or is the bangy neighbour the spider? The bangy neighbour's the spider. But I don't understand how that's similar because they're not okay. scared of you. It doesn't have to make sense. You're not okay? trying to kill them. It doesn't. <laughs> they're not an anac- an inaccurate. I meant because arachnid? you. The only way it linked was because you said you were louder than it was, or you were probably louder than it, and that just that. This is the most tenuous link. I don't. You also totally missed okay. me trying to say anachronistic arachnid. Oh, wow. And you it just, said it in one as yeah, well. Yeah, because I had two false starts before I got there. Anachronistic anachrid? No, so you what? made the mistake that I did. An anachronistic arachnid. Say the first one again. Anachronistic. Anachronistic arachnid. Yep. Cool. That's our band name. What does the first word mean? An anachronism is something that's not in its right time zone. Oh, so wow. if you saw a movie about the Stone Age and they had jetpacks... That would be anachronistic. Wow. Unless they were just super smart cavemen. <laughs> and they found all these tools where? I don't know. Yeah. Do you think That's there's ever been a technology more advanced than the next generation of people in the previous generation, but it just didn't transfer to them? Um, <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? So, for yeah. example, someone invented electricity in like the 1700s and their tiny little community in the woods had it yeah but it didn't get passed on and then it took however many years i think so in the future to reinvent it 
I think so for sure. I don't know like what, but that's got to have happened at some point. Even if it wasn't like on that massive scale like electricity, but like just something small. Yeah, a someone, small innovation. Yeah, someone had turned their like I don't know. Do you remember those little like computerized? I don't know. They were kind of like a mix between like pages and like. A file effects, but like a, I forget what they were called. A PDA, possibly. Yeah, I feel like someone somewhere would have done something to the PDA to have more functions, like at home. Someone who was like good at technology and stuff just messed with it, maybe like a tinkerer. Yeah, and then like ten years later, that technology actually kind of came out, and he was like, "Whoa, I, I was doing that in my bedroom at like whatever." Yeah, that's bound to have happened. I'm sure. Also, if you think and just in terms of like. <clears throat> people who are like good like good with computers but they're like really young and haven't like studied anywhere um and they kind of you know like, like young hackers and stuff sure i'm sure i do know many young hackers yeah i'm sure i hang out at hacker spaces hackers <laughs> i don't think there's a space for hackers in the world well i feel put like, them up against the wall well, firing squad i feel like if there was just like a hackers cafe or something you know everyone in there is a hacker they would be targeted, I feel. Well, hacker is a very it's nebulous a term. term now, yeah. There are white hat hackers and black hat hackers based on the old cowboy trope mm. of the good guy wears the white hat and the villain wears the black hat. I also feel a little bit like some, just like someone who is like good at code might just be called a hacker. It's yeah. Like one of them turn, one of those. One, one of, of them, them turns. One of those. It's because you're wearing dungarees. Yeah. You're starting to revert to. I'm not actually wearing dungarees, but yeah. But in your mind you yeah. are. In my mind I'm always wearing dungarees. That's very revealing. <laughs> I don't know what the psychological import of that is. <laughs> at heart you're always going to be a rough and tumble kid. That's not what dungarees are. When when you think of dungarees, you think of like children and hillbillies. Yeah. I think of like cool 90s, like I guess you'd say hipster. Right. That's what I said earlier. Yeah. But I'm thinking of that and you're thinking of like fucking Joe Hillbilly with his fucking one tooth. Here's the question. You know the flap over your chest? I love the flap. Do you have that done up? Do you have one button done? Do you have it? Hanging down, what's the etiquette? You either have them both done up or you have one done. You don't have it hanging down? No, fuck that. What's the point? You might as well just wear jeans. You might as well not wear dungarees anyway, so... No, really dungarees are so here. cool. No, I'm afraid not. I had a pair of black, like... You know, like cargo pants? Sure. The bottom of them were like cargo pants, but they were dungarees. And I lived in them. The bottom of them were black cargo pants. No, and the, the whole top... of them were black. And it was denim? No, it was like cargo pant material. I thought dungarees were by definition denim, like no. jeans. No, because when that that little picture that I've showed you like a bunch of times of me when I'm like two or something, like two or three and I'm blonde and I'm wearing pink dungarees, right. I'm wearing corduroy dungarees. Oh, I never knew that. I always thought it was kind of a intrinsically denim piece of apparel yeah. although to be honest i haven't thought about dungarees very much until this conversation <laughs> there's bound to be a picture of you and you're a little in dungarees no i wouldn't have liked dungarees yeah, i don't when like you're one two for you don't get to choose your clothes yeah that's true maybe when i was really young but i don't like one piece type of things like jumpsuits yeah you don't like a woman in like a tight 
jumpsuit. I was talking about myself personally. <laughs> I plead the fifth on that question. Yeah, I'm being grilled need, right now. You don't need to plead the fifth. You can say GF, yes. I think it's by hot. my inquisitive GF. I know you think it's hot. You're holding you. up a picture to me. Do you think she looks hot? <laughs> Do you? Do you? You're painting me as like a woman I'm not. I know. <laughs> I want you to tell that's, the audience I'm not that. That's going to be the title of your autobiography: "A Woman I'm Not." It's more likely. Wait, that- no. They're painting me as a woman I'm not. <laughs> it's more likely that I'll be like, she's hot, and you'll be like, yeah. Yeah, that Rather is more like... Rather than you secretly think she's hot. This was just a bit. I'm not allowed to speak. You're trying to defeat yeah, the purpose well, of the bit. Nah, there's no bits for you. That sounds not good <laughs> and very euphemistic. <laughs> Castration, what, huh? What? Here we go with the dungaree oh, talk I, again. No. When people say that, you don't like the word castration. No, you were taking the word bits oh. and meaning something, and I hate it when people say that. Do you hate it more than the word genitalia? Yes, it's like breasts. I sure. don't like to call them breasts. I don't know why. I just don't. It's not a, good, a fun or like sexy or even just like. Not that it has to be sexy. Because I like the term boobs, but boobs can also be very juvenile. Like, right. oh, look at her boobs, or like, she's got boobs. Do you know what I mean? Like, thinking of like a young person saying it. What a spectrum of people you just but to, played out. I don't out. know. Boobs is my favourite. But as a writer, when writing boobs, it does just come across as like 12-year-old boy speak. But I also don't like breasts. And I kind of like... In a very, only sometimes kind of like badass way. Not like a 40-year-old woman who's like, look at my tits. Like, more like a badass, like... What? Biker chick? These are my tits, like, you know? Like standoffish? Yeah. Okay. It's more kind of a warlike word? Yeah. Like, don't touch my fucking tits. That's interesting. Punch you in the face. It's a defensive word? And I can't think of any other words for them. Good words, proper words. Like, really, it's just breasts, boobs, and tits. There's a lot of... All the other words are just, like, Made-up, juvenile nicknames. Yeah. Jugs. Fun bags. Baps. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the American listeners are going to know? I don't think that's an American thing, no. She's got big baps. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very, like, four-year-old builder... Yeah, Speak. as he's drinking his sugary builder tea yeah. and reading The Sun, staring at page three. Uh, Although they got rid of the page three girls, right? There was a big outcry, uh, as if we really need to modernize and progressivize The Sun. Progressivize? Is that a word? I just totally made up a word, don't yeah. worry about it. As yeah, if that's know. something that needs to be done instead of just scrapping it all together. I guess Americans have, like, rack. Ah, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's true. But I feel like as a as a like writer though, I feel like if I said something like my rack, some readers wouldn't know what you were talking about. That's a weird one because rack is a thing that you put something else on. Yeah, yeah. Whereas that's where it comes. The breasts are just themselves. I think that's where it comes from. In fact, if you think about it, the bra is the rack. If anything, yeah, that's true. Maybe that's where it comes from. There's not another word for bra, I just realised as well. Brazier, I guess. Although that's where... Boulder holder. 
<laughs> Did you just make that up on the spot? No, that's oh, the thing. You should there's have claimed song. it of yourself. Yeah, there's a song. Sure, there's a song for like everything. Like a little ditty. A sea Are shanty? There, there are no other words, bro. Lingerie, I guess, is a general yeah, term underwear. for... But I feel like when people say underwear, it really just means like knickers. Or like boxes or whatever. That's another thing that our US listeners are going to... I don't like the terms wince for up. male underwear. I don't like boxes. Briefs is a little bit too stiff up a lip. <laughs> His briefs. So what would you call I them? think boxes are basically the only... But boxer shorts are actually something different. Them. I feel like when you describe boxer shorts, you're describing those types that we don't like. Yeah, those, well, like, if you short... say the full boxer short, then it... Summons up like knee length, mm. stiff, <laughs> starched, cotton, like mm. horrendous old man underwear. I actually really like the term knickers, but I think a lot of people associate it with like granny panties. And so. Oh, I associate it with like that's what a little girl would say. Knickers? Yeah. But that's your. T- no, I feel like little kids say pants. In, here in, My pants. Yeah, here in England. Here in, in England. The UK. Again, in the US. We need like a translated yeah. version of this podcast. Yeah. There's subtitles. Yeah, when people say pants here, it's actually referring originally to boys. Boys underwear. That's what pants are. Knickers are for girls, pants are for boys. Right, because it's from underpants. Yeah. Which but, makes sense because it would be under your pants but if you want to talk about the American pants. word. Yeah, yeah. But little girls say pants as well. And older people, I've heard older people say, but women sure. say pants. My pants. You're looking at me with the and I'm like Ugh. most exasperated look of. Aversion. I do, however, like panties. Yeah, that's pretty good in a sexy way. Like I wouldn't, as opposed to what? What I feel like a woman on her own wouldn't necessarily be talking about panties. It would only in America, be... I feel like they do, at least mm. judging by American TV shows. Yeah. How did we get onto this topic of interrogating language concerning genitals and the clothing well, we that contains them? We're going to get onto them. what, like the words, I guess, the words for each thing. But it is interesting, though, how there are those words that you would use with your doctor. Yeah, those very clinical, scientific words, <laughs> and then there are the words you would use with friends, and then there's the words you would use with a lover or someone you were intimate yeah. with. A few times, if I've had to go to the doctors about something, I've actually had to like think, like say to myself, like, "Don't use that word. Use the proper the word." Proper quote word. unquote. Um, <laughs> it's just funny because I don't know. It's just funny because it feels so unnatural. It's like, why wouldn't you just use the word that everyone uses? Because it's not like the doctors are not going to know what you're talking about. They're not going to chastise you for using this vulgar language. And someone must have used it in their presence. So there's going to be a precedent. It's just so strange. But I feel like when you're in that situation, you feel so nervous and formal and under the microscope. And it's so quiet and the doctor's just staring at you, waiting for you to speak. And it's like... (laughs) Do you want there to be background music playing? Yes, I pretty much do, actually. Just the radio playing some horrible pop station? Yeah. No, it'd have to be like... Katy Perry's in the background as you describe your disturbance in your bowels. (laughs) I don't know. No, you need, like, relaxing music. Like, I'm thinking of the music from that game that we like to play called Overcooked. Yeah. But 
yeah, we just need like, you know, I'm, I'm dancing to music right now. That's not, <laughs> I wish I had a gift of you happening. <laughs> dancing to some inaudible song in your head. <laughs> I can hear it, okay? And if I can hear it, that's all that I matters. I think that's called auditory hallucinations. <laughs> you should see your local GP about that. No, but you can hear music when you think of it, right? Sure. But I don't dance along to it. <laughs> like some kind of... That's because you don't know how to live. Crazy person. <laughs> I don't know how to live. Is that living the good life, dancing along to your own songs? Yes. People need to dance. <laughs> there I is such a long pregnant such pause. A way, so like... much suspense. It makes me kind of sad, you know, when people, like, say, like, if there's, like, a party or, like, whatever, and people are like, no, I, I'm not, I don't want to get up and dance. Like, dancing is so fun. Like, and I'm not talking about, like, choreographed dancing. I'm just talking about just fucking dancing it Moving out. Moving your body Putting to a the song beat. on and dancing it out. It doesn't matter what you think you look like. It's just... But it does because people are looking at no, you. No, it doesn't. You know why? Because I think... It is really beautiful when you know someone is just moving. They're not thinking about how they're moving. They're just moving. And I think that's beautiful. Like, sure. And if you can just let go and just do it and not care what anyone thinks, it's such a good feeling. And it makes me kind of sad when people are so... Uptight not, and afraid. Like, yeah makes me like i want to just if they could just think that way if i could just make them think that way so that they could just be free but it all depends on context right because we dance in the way you're talking about in front of each other yeah because there's that deep layer of trust and privacy going on but in the context of being at a party where you're surrounded by strangers who you know are subconsciously judging you and trying to chalk up your many imperfections in their mind you don't have that benefit of being unselfconscious and just free. And so I, I totally get why someone would be like, I don't want to dance in this situation because I can't dance the way that makes it fun. No, I get it because I used to be like that. But I wish now that I'm not like that, I want to make everyone who is like that, like me now, just able to just do it because... Once you realise that, yeah, there might be a few people who are looking and being judgmental or whatever, but you know what it is really deep down? They're jealous that they can't do that. That they, And anyone who's going to judge someone on how they look when they're dancing is a fucking cunt anyway. <laughs> and you don't want anything to do with them. So if you don't care about that person, you don't want to be like that person, you don't want to be friends with that person, you shouldn't, you shouldn't care what they think. So... It's just about getting to that place. And if you can get to that place, you can just be free. So are you saying that you think there's no such thing as quote-unquote bad dancing? Because isn't that what there's, you're implying? Yeah, yes, because I think dancing inherently is just like... Expressing yourself. Moving to what you feel in the music. Obviously, if like someone needs dancers for a show and they have to learn choreography, you can then go, oh, well, that this person is not a very good dancer because they can't learn the choreography. They can't move to the beat we need them to move to. Then, of course, there's, there's a like... performative yeah. element to it. But if, if you're just, like, 
at a party or at a club or at an event of some kind and there's music on and you're dancing that whole oh yeah but I'm such a bad dancer shouldn't even come into it because you're just feeling what you feel when you listen to the music I understand what you're saying and I think like again anyone who's going to be like oh they look so funny like you don't want to be associated with those people anyway so why should you care what they think and obviously this is not like feeling this way is not bulletproof like obviously as someone who does kind of feel like that and who is kind of quite confident you still have like bad days and stuff you're still gonna have moments of like people are laughing at me yeah people might be laughing at me or whatever and if you're not necessarily feeling your best that day it's easy for you to feel those insecurities but once you've got to that place those types of feelings come only now and then rather than feeling that way all the time you know yeah i do feel like i'm on the same wavelength as you but i just think it all depends on the circumstances and the situation you find yourself but you're in. speaking actually coming from someone who wouldn't dance in public right yeah so that's why but i wouldn't dance in public because i wouldn't be able to just feel free and unconcerned with external judgment whereas but what in my you, home i can and yeah. that's why i do sometimes dance mainly just to kind of amuse you because you seem to enjoy it i don't actually enjoy dancing very much to be honest you do when you actually dance. But I enjoy the fact that it's entertaining you more than I enjoy yeah. the dance itself. I guess also some people must just not really feel... Like, there's obviously some people who listen to music and it doesn't make them move. Like, I, like me and like loads of other people, if music's on, even if it's ne- not even a song that they necessarily like, they will just move to it, whether they're like at their desk at work and the radio's on or whatever, and they just move to it. Like some people are just like that. Um, whereas you aren't like that. No. Like you, yeah. So I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess you I tried to I, pick your words carefully yeah. there, and then you just gave up on the pursuit. I guess I don't think about that too much. Like there are actually people where dancing is like. No, I don't, I just, it's not that I care what people think, I just don't want to dance. Like, that's fine, obviously. I'm not saying everyone has to dance, but it does feel really fucking good. So, you know. I just mostly feel like I don't have a good grasp of rhythm. And you can say, well, it doesn't matter, just try and dance as best you can to the rhythm that you can discern. But if someone's dancing is completely divorced from the music itself... Like it has no relation to the beat or the rhythm, then in my mind, I just think, what's the point? Because. And that's how I feel. I feel that shortcoming in my ability to do that means that I'm forever going to not enjoy dancing. Because I think you're. you're it's like colouring outside the lines, right? You are holding on to this. I'm not actually moving my hip every time there's like a drum beat or like you're doing, doing the cutest this, little like, jig as you sit there explaining this. you know what i mean it's like adorable. there are people that do dance like that and when they choreograph things they might have things that fall on beats like two three four but 
I think just dancing, like that type of free dancing that I'm talking about, it doesn't matter. If when you hear a song as an individual, you just move your body however it wants to move, if that then makes you feel good, it doesn't matter whether you fall into the rhythm or not because you've you got your own rhythm. Sure. You're dancing to your own rhythm and that's fine. <laughs> I like how you had to repeat that for emphasis. Well, I that don't little think piece any, of life philosophy. I don't think there's anything wrong with that and I think people get too caught up in like, but I'm not good and I don't have any rhythm and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, who cares? You're not dancing for other people. You're dancing for yourself. But even in that way of looking at it, when I view someone dancing, if you showed me two gifts of people dancing and one of them was very kind of, they had really good control over their body. They had a very fluid motion and they were very attuned to the beat itself. And then the other person was the exact opposite. I would look at the first person and say their dancing was good and the second person's dancing was not so good. I don't want to make that value judgment, but we all have those implicit ideas in our head about what makes something skillful. And so in my mind, well, something about me is I don't like doing things I'm not good at, which I think is a very common thing. And it definitely will hold you back, such as in this case, because I feel like I'm not quote unquote good at dancing even by my own lack standards and so i don't want to do it because i don't enjoy that feeling of ineptness and unskillful practice but i think that's kind of sad honestly sure that you only view things as like is this good or is this bad is this is that person pretty is that person not pretty what? like am i good at these am i not you're good really at extrapolating here. i can't do these things because i'm not good at them like i feel like no, i'm being what scolded kind of way to live is that what if i saw two people dancing and one was like you said moving to the beat perfectly might even have some like Little flourishes. Like, yeah, like... Jazz hands. Some special moves or something. And the other person was just, like, f- as free as a fucking hippie. I would I would probably prefer that because they seem so free. A person who just completely lets go and, like, maybe even closes their eyes, that is, like, so exciting. That's the pinnacle of self-expression. Whereas a person who feels like they need to perform is a little bit less shiny to me. Because they feel like they need to perform. Um, whereas if you could tell that they didn't feel like they need to perform, but they were still had all those like moves and stuff, that would be even better. Um, yeah, I don't really live that way. Like, it's like when someone, you know what it's making me think of? When you were saying things about like good or bad, and then I said when someone's pretty and someone's like not pretty. It makes me think of when you watch like certain TV shows or certain movies and the person is like oh she's so hot and I'm like why is she hot though because she's skinny and blonde and has big boobs like those are your only markers like just some people that is the way they live like if someone is good at something they're better if someone is like thin and like seemingly fit I'm having quote quotations with my air fingers quotes. right now. Sarcastic um, air quotes. And he's like blonde and like wears a lot of makeup and like, you know, that to a lot of people is like, wow, she's beautiful. And anything else is not beautiful. And so I don't live that way. I don't ever, ever think that way. Like I have specific preferences and types for things, 
But I also think everyone can be beautiful. I don't think there's ever, you know, I would never be someone who's like, yeah, but he's ugly. Because that's, I would maybe say I'm not into that person if like they wanted to get with me or whatever. But it wouldn't be because I thought they were ugly. It's because I didn't feel that person the way I need to feel someone. It wouldn't be, oh, he's not thin. He's not six foot tall. He's not whatever. That's, I, I don't, I don't ascribe to that. Sure. That's very admirable and noble. No. But it's not the same as what I was saying. No, I know, but it made me think of it. A I better don't analogy seem for like what that, I was saying is if. Wait, before you move on to the, back to that, I want to say, I don't, I feel like the thing, type of things I'm saying, I don't want to come across as that like special. Like, yeah, but you're just above everything and you can just, like, whatever. I I love this immediate backtracking. No, it's not backtracking. I just don't want to come off as, like, feeling like I'm better than people because I don't think that at all. And you can't see my face when we're talking and so I worry that that's how it sounds. There are definitely wry, ironic smirks sprinkled throughout listeners. So, yeah. The point I was going to make is if you saw someone practicing carpentry, for example, and they were trying to make a box and they put the planks together in such a way as it was not in any way box shaped, it was more kind of oval and there was big gaps in it and the nails weren't in the right place. You'd look at that and say that person wasn't very good at the task that they were trying to achieve. And for me, dancing is you trying to sync yourself up with the music no it's not but then why do you dance with music why don't you just dance to silence some people do it's not trying to sync yourself up with music it's this music is making me feel something and i am now trying to express that feeling with movement whether it's i'm expressing it by hitting all the beats in the song or I go to a place in my mind that just makes me move. And this is how I move. I Yeah, that's a fair point. For me, I think even by that much more vague standard, which I think is much more in line with the idea of it being kind of artistic and self-expression, I feel like I don't change my dancing depending on what the music is. I feel like I dance the same way every time. And because of that, I can't be doing even what you're saying, which is letting the music make me feel a certain way and then expressing myself via movement. Because it doesn't change depending on the music, I'm not even doing what you're saying. And that's another reason why I wouldn't want to dance. I get what you you mean, because you do kind of do the same couple of things when you dance. However it still looks like fun. Like when you dance, because I know that you do do it mostly for me because you know I love it. When you dance, it's so much fun. Like you look just so like so happy and you're just moving your body in the ways that feels good. And maybe that's what you've got to think of it as. I move this way every single time because it feels good. If I tried to move my body in a way that it doesn't want to go, it wouldn't feel good. Sure. You know? I understand what you're saying. So that's like, okay, if I dance this way, it might look good, but I don't like doing it and I find it difficult. Whereas if I just dance the way I want to dance, it feels better. Yeah. It's what It always comes down to forget what it looks like. 
Because who fucking cares at the end of the day? And people who do care are cunts, okay? Sure. Because... Seems a tad too harsh. No, it's not. Judgmental people like that who are, A, firstly going to judge, and second, are going to, like, do some kind of, like, they're going to smirk or, like, laugh or say something. That's horrible. No one wants to be friends with that guy. And if they do, it's because they like that person. So... It's just trying to get, it's just about trying to constantly tell yourself, I don't care about that person and I'm never going to see them again. Who gives a fuck? This makes me feel good. I'm just going to close my eyes and do it. Like, But at the same time, you're saying you should view dance as this very internal individual thing where it's just for you. It's just a way for you to express yourself. But there are forms of dance that are inherently designed towards the viewer. They're inherently designed as performance. Like no one twerks alone without someone seeing it. There'd be no point. It's a form of movement yeah. that's meant to do something for someone else, either tantalize yeah. them or entertain them. And so would you say that that is not dance then? Because it's no, of course it there's is. such a definite link between the viewer and the person doing it. Of course it's dancing, but it's a person wanting to perform for someone else. In that case, when we talked about it, when we first started talking about this, you said about like, and I said about when someone needs to put like choreography into it or it's for a performance for a show, that's dancing. It's just a different type of dancing. Um, someone who like goes to like a party or a club or whatever and they dance and they like to dance there are some people that like that element of like i know i'm a good dancer and i it, you're showing off to people. Uh, yeah and you show off a little bit and you know people are staring at you and thinking oh she's a really good dancer like there are people that are like that and that enjoy that and that's of course still dancing it's just a different side of dancing that's like performing and wanting to look good and wanting to show off what you can do or how you look but you can still do that even if like you might a lot of people might not think you're a very good dancer but you can still go to like a club or an event or whatever and dance and be like oh my god I look so good right now because I feel so good and People it doesn't matter are, what people pe think. Yeah, and people are staring at me, but whether they're, no matter what they're feeling, I like them staring at me because I've got their attention. Like, it it, it just depends. There's a spectrum, basically. So, yeah, exactly. Some people will like it and some people will show away. Sure. Going back to that, like, not caring what people think thing, that, for me, it, even though, like, I can come across as like and i say i'm like really confident and stuff sometimes it is still like a thing like you don't just reach this place of like acceptance and love for yourself and then you don't ever think about it again it is kind of like a constant thing where you have to tell yourself like i am it's like when people say each morning wake up and tell yourself how amazing you are or whatever that works if you just constantly tell yourself how good you are, I you stand in the mirror and you tell yourself you're beautiful, look, I have an amazing body and I love myself, you will love yourself at the end of it. You just have to kind of like 
constantly reassure yourself and you do get to a point where you need to reassure yourself less and less because you're at a place of kind of like acceptance but you're still going to have like moments where you question things or whatever it's not completely the thing I always think about that idea of positive affirmations is I like the idea that they are kind of cheat codes towards personal enlightenment Mm. where you can kind of drill it into yourself these lessons over and over and over again it's kind of maintenance on your own sense of self-worth and confidence and whatnot but what worries me is affirmations definitely work there's enough subjective testimony to strongly suggest that they have the effect that they're purported to have but if they work surely they'd work regardless of what you were saying so you could say something negative as a affirmation and it would still infect your psyche and change your behavior and your self-image moving forward and if they work for anything that kind of worries me because it means there's not something special about positive affirmations that's just one form they can take and so i don't see it really giving any extra validity to the content of the positive affirmation i don't think i know what you're saying (laughs) (laughs) at first i thought maybe you meant doesn't that mean negative affirmations will also work yeah is that what you're saying yeah they do because okay think of it in terms of this you're being bullied at school sure right from a young age you're constantly being told that you're like fat or ugly or stupid and so That's where these things come from. Okay, we're not born thinking we're of no worth. We're not born thinking that we need to watch our weight and, and that we're really ugly. And that's why we need positive affirmations, right? Because we're born just regular, right? With this base level of like, I might look in the mirror when I'm really young and think, oh, I'm pleasant looking or whatever. But then someone comes along to say something that takes that out. They're like, oh, you're ugly. Or she's really pretty, that girl over there. But they don't tell you that you're pretty. And you go throughout life never hearing that you're pretty. And maybe also hearing that you're ugly. And that's where it comes from. You think you're ugly because other people have told you that you're ugly. Or other people haven't told you that you're pretty. And it works for all kinds of things. You're fat. You're stupid. Like, I was bullied for being fat up until I was, like, 15, and I wasn't fat. I was just, like, what you would say, slim to average, I guess. I had, like, chubby cheeks, and that was probably why people called me fat. I don't really know. At the time, I thought I was fat. I thought I was just fat and useless and horrible because that's what people said. And I believed it. I actually believed it and it wasn't until I actually was fat and then like looked at photos of myself when I was like 12 and stuff and was like oh my god I wasn't even fat. So it does work if you're constantly being told something or and it works on an even higher level if you're being told these things by like people who are close to you. So if you don't have good family, your parents are shit and they say horrible things. Or your brothers and sisters are just horrible little brats who like say horrible things to you. That 
seeps in from a really young age. So you then have to do the work yourself to get rid of all of that. And that's basically what I did. I got to a point where it was like, forget what everyone has ever said about you. This is what you think. This is what you feel. And eventually you start to feel it. And I get all that. I feel like we're, we're talking past each other. I was just making the simple refutation of an argument. I know you didn't make, but I felt like it was kind of trending towards there of if you constantly do these positive affirmations of you are beautiful, you are worthwhile, you are pretty, you are whatever it is, you are amazing. They will seep into your subconscious into your thinking into your self-image and your self-worth <clears throat> and they will improve that in a very significant way because all of those things are true but my point is the affirmations will also work the other way if you say negative disparaging insulting things about yourself so my point was basically just that's what i just said yeah but what i'm saying is the affirmation working doesn't lend any further validity to the content of the affirmation. And so my point is just, how do you know that the positive affirmations are truthful and the negative affirmations are not, if they both work? Because you're operating from a place that there is actually good and bad. As in like, are you... I'm going to put this in the plainest, even maybe insulting way possible. But you're trying to say if someone who's ugly is trying to tell themselves they're pretty, it's not going to work because they're ugly. No. What do you mean then? Uh, We're really getting wrapped around the axle on this. My point was very, very basic. And I was expecting you to just be like. Okay, let's not talk about how I don't understand. Just make me understand. (laughs) make me understand okay what am i trying to say what i've already explained it in a different way because i clearly don't know what you're talking about why are the positive affirmations the content of them where you're saying you are beautiful why is that true is it true because you're saying it to yourself and you believe it and it has effect on you or is it true because it's objectively true regardless of whether you said the affirmation yes everyone is beautiful and you're operating from a place of not everyone is beautiful and that's what i said but if everyone is beautiful what does beautiful mean it just means that you're a person it means it's like when someone says you you're okay i just want to say i didn't come i wasn't trying to make a point with what i was originally trying to say i was just asking a kind of absent-minded question to tease out you're thinking about it i'm not trying to make a point here i don't have anything to say i'm just trying to interrogate the way you think about it i guess i do just come from a place of like everyone is beautiful but obviously you think about it more when it's like okay i think everyone deserves to be told they're beautiful as in like as in i don't think anyone should be saying to anyone you're ugly that's a horrible and cruel thing and no one gets anything out of that okay okay? yeah sure and so that person's husband or wife or friend or whatever might want to be like you're oh you look so beautiful Or, or it might just be like you're going out and you dress up and someone's like, oh, you're beautiful. It might just be some. you might see someone in the street and actually really be taken away by how they look because it's your preferred look. 
oh wow you're so beautiful like I think everyone should be able to say that about themselves and that's why it took me like yeah I don't know I can't think the way you're thinking I feel like you are the only reason why you would come up with that is if you're operating from a place of not everyone is beautiful I'm not operating from any place I'm just trying to figure out what I do think about this and what I'm thinking in response to what you just said is if you tell someone they're beautiful and it makes them feel good, surely that's because you're saying that they are demonstrating a distinction in some way. You are beautiful as opposed to how you would look if you were not beautiful, because otherwise you're just looking at the person wearing a dress and saying, oh, wow, you're wearing a dress. I know I gave that um, that example, but I actually don't even described as that like oh someone's put makeup on and they've yeah. done up now they look beautiful i know i did give that as kind of an example it's the person themselves who yeah are beautiful. i think someone i think everyone is beautiful like unless they're not and what i mean by that is <laughs> they're a cunt right and if you're a cunt in some way they've got a black soul then you're not a beautiful person you're a cunt and you need to change your ways <laughs> like I think you're beautiful. I think, like, the person on the street's beautiful. I think my mum's beautiful. I think my friends are beautiful. Um, there are lots of people I like to watch or, like, follow on social media that I think are beautiful. And I think people should tell people they're beautiful more instead of this, like, you need to change something. Like, you need to lose weight or gain weight. You need to... Get, have more muscle you need to be taller somehow you need to change your hair like that beard doesn't look good shut the fuck up that person is beautiful the way they are i guess it really just comes from a place of so much of the world is living in this state of i'm not the way i want to be something has to change and they live their whole life that way because some things just are not going to change okay you met you will always be that height and for some people they will always be that weight you know that's why it's important that you come to this place of accepting because you're living your life now you know stop trying to live the life of someone that you are not because you are not that person and if you can get to that place that you want to get to I hope you're getting to it for the right reasons not because the world thinks you'd be more beautiful that way because fuck the world they're not living your life you are and that's really what i mean sure i get that point that idea of even if you are striving towards self-improvement don't view it in the way of right now i'm bad and i need to get to a place of being good being worthwhile have that sense of self-acceptance, that sense of self-celebration at every stage along the way. Always be happy with who you are because that is who you are. This actually perfectly swings into our first topic. It does indeed. Yeah, which I think we should get onto so that I can... I'd like to take credit for us somehow setting up in this way, but it was totally organic and random. Natural. Okay, so the first topic is, it's an opinion piece from The Guardian... And it's titled, Food Nourishes Mind and Body, So Let's Enjoy Eating. And actually, the article didn't quite go the way I thought it was going to. She mostly just talks about how um, she had an eating disorder and how there's really not 
much help for people with eating disorders, specifically certain types of eating disorders, and how she wishes people would just love food instead of it being like this enemy kind of thing. And so there are lots of things to talk about, I feel like. Taking the conversation back a little bit, um, I think eating disorders are way more common than we think. And I feel like when you say the word, the, the term eating disorder, for a lot of people, maybe people who don't know so much about eating disorders, who have not really experienced an eating disorder, sees the term eating disorder as this like rightfully in lots of aspects this serious like thing that Very like dramatic severe yeah that, that they have, don't know anything about because they've never had one however an eating disorder is just disordered eating it's just some <clears throat> kind of dysfunctional relationship yeah towards and eating. i and that's what i i'm talking about i think so many people way more than we realize have a mild eating disorder because anyone who focuses on food more than as a just kind of like thing that we have to do like sleep has mild to severe eating disorder because if you're focused on your food in any way that's negative whether that's oh my god I shouldn't eat that chocolate cake because you know we'll just die like that's not normal in terms of like what we're saying that's is that's an irrational way yeah to that's view it. like okay so lots of people do that they will talk about not wanting to eat something because how bad it is for them and then maybe they do eat it and then they feel guilt and shame and they have to constantly talk about how Oh my god! I can't believe I did that. I need to. Go, I need that to was go. So many calories. I need to go and run two miles now. That is an eating disorder. Now, in the article, obviously, well, in the article, she actually talks about that a little bit. How for her, for some people, in order to get like treatment and stuff, you have to be at like an extreme, and that's what I think a lot of people think when they think of eating disorders. They think of this extreme like anorexic person who looks anorexic you know they're anorexic they're close to like you know it being very serious and i think that's why she talks about bmi and that that is very important in a non-important way and what i mean by that is bmi is bullshit because you can't have this like system of what a person should be when you have like like six feet five fucking bodybuilders who are never going to fall under the BMI that you want them to. The quote-unquote healthy But BMI. they are clearly healthy, right? You also can't say that a person is unhealthy just because they're fat. There are lots of reasons why a person might be fat, okay? An obvious reason might be that they eat a lot. Another reason might be that they have a health issue. Another reason might be that they don't, they're not very active. They don't eat a lot, but they're not very active. There's lots of reasons why a person's fat. And you can be healthy and still be fat. And that's why a BMI is stupid. Um, 
And when she talks about it, she talks about how, like, but my BMI was normal. But she was still, like, throwing up her food and, like, whatever. And so I feel like for a lot of doctors, it'll just be like, yeah, but you are normal. So you might think you're losing weight because you're throwing up, but actually you're fine. In what world does that make sense? If you have some kind of disordered eating where food becomes this thing that you agonize over. An obsession. Yeah, that's an eating disorder. I myself have eating disorders, I would say. Yeah, because I love food. I love it. Like, eating for me, as you know, is an event. Even my breakfast is an event. Your face has lit up so much (laughs) with joy. Even breakfast is an event. Like, if I know I'm going to be interrupted or, like... Have to pause. Yeah, like, say, for instance, when we order groceries, right? We know it's going to come. We usually order it for when we wake up on a Monday morning. If I have woken up close to the time when it's going to be delivered, I will wait until it's been delivered because I don't want to be interrupted. I also, like, yeah, eating is an event. So, like, I won't just stand around eating. I... I get food, like, if I'm eating on my own, like, breakfast, like, usually we wake up at different times, so you have breakfast. You've usually had breakfast by the time I wake up. Right. I will, like, find something I enjoy, to like, watching. I will make my breakfast. I will come and sit down. We, you don't talk to me, <laughs> and I will just eat my breakfast. <laughs> on pain of death. And it's good. Then, like... You want to focus on it. You want to give it exactly, your concentration. I want to enjoy... So you can enjoy yeah, the experience. Uh, exactly. I want to enjoy it. And then, like, we, something we do, no matter what we're doing, whether we're in or out, we always eat together. For we, our yeah, dinner, our main meal. Yeah, um, yeah, our meals. And, um, and we always watch something while we eat. We'll watch a movie or we'll watch one of our TV shows. And it's an event. It becomes this, like, several hours thing where I've cooked, we eat the food, and then we watch something for a few hours. Um, so I love food. Any chance as well, like, as soon as I know I'm going out somewhere, any chance I get to, like, eat something while I'm out is also, like, this huge, exciting thing for me. However, I love food so much that it is also an obsession. So the, this is, I'll just lay it out. I am addicted to food. Food is not just something that I do that I enjoy. I am actually addicted. There are points and times when I find myself, I can't stop myself. I may have already like had my breakfast or had a snack and then I'm like, I'm going to eat something else. But I know that I am not hungry. My stomach isn't hungry. I just want to eat because i enjoy eating it and will I make like, you feel good yeah it makes me feel good but obviously that can get dangerous and that's where food addiction then turns into binge eating because i will then eat too much however i don't get to the point of bulimia where i throw it up so my eating disorders are food addiction and binge eating so those are like, that's hard for some people to take. Like, a lot of people may even say they don't believe food addiction is a thing. 
but it is. It is a very real thing, just like any other addiction. Yeah. And I would say in some ways it's more serious than some other addictions because with like other addictions like smoking or drinking, you can give those up, right? You can go cold turkey and you Not can have give them those whatsoever. up. You can't do that with food. Yeah. You can't say, okay, I'm all or nothing now. I'm going to give it up. We need food to survive. Food is also this constant thing that you have to do in your life in terms of like other people as well. Yeah. You're expected to like go to dinner or you're expected to go to an event where there'll be food. It's not like you can say, I'm never going to be around people who eat and I'm not going to eat. That's yeah. not something that can ever happen. So straight away, it becomes this thing that you have to try to manage while still having to do it. And that's where things like the obsession and like the shame and the guilt can kind of enter in because you need to eat, but you're like, I don't want to eat too much. And then you find yourself just, that's all you think about. When am I next going to get to eat? How am I, how much am I going to eat? I want to eat more. Oh, I've eaten too much. Oh, now I feel sick. Now I feel guilty. Like there are all these horrible thoughts and feelings and, you know, so yeah (laughs) that's why it's such a ruck and a hard place to be between because you have to eat so you have to find a way to do it in a non-obsessive non-addiction type of way you have to find a way to do it in a way that's not dysfunctional or view it in a way that's not distorted I, i definitely understand what you're saying and the problem is you don't want to take that really hard-nosed draconian stance of well i'm just going to make it this very boring utilitarian practice where you know i'm eating the soylent nutrient sludge or whatever it is i'm just trying to get these macronutrients into my body in the most bland unenjoyable way possible you want to find a way to still enjoy food because food is so enjoyable there's such a variety and there's such a difference in the way it can make you feel when you have a good meal where it was time well spent with people that you care about and it was ingredients that you really enjoy in that particular dish and all those other things so you have to try and strike that very difficult midpoint of i want to still be able to enjoy food i want it to be this aspect of my life that i love and that i'm passionate about and that i really put care into fostering in a way that it will give me these returns of pleasure and enjoyment but i don't want it to take over my sense of this is what makes me feel good to such an extent that it's the only source of gratification in my life because then you do fall down that rabbit hole of constantly thinking about food constantly obsessing about your next meal and whether you've had too much or you had too little and now you're gonna have to go hungry until the next meal and so yeah i definitely sympathize with it it's a very perilous very burdensome predicament to find yourself in she talks about how like um accessible like treatment is and stuff and how there's not very good treatment for um people with eating disorders especially certain types and i've never really saw any kind of help for well i kind of have i remember seeing 
a nutritionist or dietitian, no, a dietitian, um, when I was, I'm not sure, late, really late teens, I want to say. Um, 19 and four-fifths. Yeah. I think I was referred by my doctor, but I'm not sure what I went to the doctor about. I, I don't know whether I had gained weight and the doctor was just like, I'm sending you to this thing. Or whether I actually said anything, I can't remember. Because for the longest time, I never saw... It's really only been the last few years where I've like actually said out loud and accepted that my way of living is because I have an eat, like eating disorders. Before, it was just like, oh, I'm an overeater. I love food and I'm an overeater. Which in and of itself is an eating disorder, but, you know... It's a very casual thing, I feel like, that people say. And she wasn't very good. Like, the real only real thing that she said to me that I took away was there's no point depriving yourself, constantly depriving yourself of wanting something because you're never, like, that's... I can't really remember how she said it, but, like, that's... You wanting food is always going to be there. So to constantly try to deprive yourself, it's not going to work because you're always going to give in and eat because you need to eat. You're just going to make yourself obsessed yeah. even more. And so she she put the importance on then, okay, so if you are going to eat, it's moderation. And that's really the only thing I took away. Right. But And that's kind of an obvious thing as well. I mean, I guess not for some people because they do deprive themselves of things. But I've never been able to do that. Like, I've never really dieted. I mean, there up until I was, like, 27, from, like, the ages of, like, 18 to 27, I was fat and didn't like myself. So I guess you could say during that period, I was, like, there were times when I was, like, I want to lose weight, but I never did anything about it because... I was never able to, like, pick any one of the millions of diets that are out there to try and do because I can't deprive myself of food. I maybe try to do it for, like, half a day where I'm like, I'm not going to snack or whatever, and then I do. And so diets and things would never hurt um, help. Anything I've ever tried to do, really, in terms of weight loss is I've just tried to exercise. And again, that's never been for any lengthy period of time. And then when I got to, like, 27, that was when the, like, road to self-acceptance happened. And so I definitely wasn't trying to do anything to lose weight. And then also I accepted that I had eating disorders. And then it's hard because the few times I've spoken to my doctor, I mentioned that I had an eating disorder and it was for a different reason. And she went on to say do I want to take these tablets these pills I should say like weight loss pills yeah well I don't know yeah I don't know if that actually I guess you would call them weight loss pills but in terms of like the doctor I guess the idea is that you take them and then if you eat anything that's like really not good for you your body will dispel it right sure to put it no higher yeah so just first of all just take that in and listen to how it sounds yeah take this pill and then if you eat something that's bad for you 
Your body reacts punitively. Yeah. It punishes like, you for your indiscretion. Yeah. So what kind of fucking medieval torture device <laughs> is that? And I said that to her. I knew about these pills already because I knew someone who had taken them. And it did a... All it can really do, it doesn't make you lose weight in terms of, like, you start shedding pounds. It For some people, I guess it works, because why would it still be a thing? But it makes you not want to eat those types of food because you don't want to dispel it, yeah. right? However, and this is what I said to the doctor, but this is not going to help me because I have an eating disorder, so I can't stop myself from eating if my issues are psychological and you're giving me something that's physical like how does that make any sense and she was just like yeah but don't you want the the added motivation and i was like no i don't need motivation i need someone to help me with my mental health like it's like when you're depressed and people like yeah but you just need to you just need to get up and do it and i'm like fuck you no, no kind of motivation is going to help. Like, so I tried to say this to her and she just couldn't see it from my side. And this is a doctor. And I was like, no, that sounds like torture. I actually said that to her. And then in terms of like trying to get treatment or whatever, I didn't, there was another doctor, you were there, do you remember? I hadn't mentioned my weight, there'd been no she wouldn't have known about my eating disorders. Out of the blue, she just said, I had to be weighed, I guess. She was like, jump on the scale. And then she just said, you know, you can get surgery for being fat, basically. And I was like, okay. Thanks for telling me. Thanks for letting me in on that. Thanks for the heads up. Nugget of fucking wisdom. Like, yeah. As if you didn't know. Yeah. And also... Yeah, I'm not even going to go into weight loss surgery, but what the fuck? Kind of like, yeah, so so I'm not really like privy to like what kind of treatment is out there. But the few times I have sort of talked about an eating disorder with my doctor, they haven't really seemed that bothered. Like I've not been offered any kind of like help really. Um, They've tried to fix it in these very simplistic brute force ways. Yeah. So it's really just all about trying to, like, I don't know, for me, managing it myself the best way I can. But it's difficult to, like, come to terms with when you love food as much as I do. And I guess crossing over, like, crossing over topics a little bit, taking us back to what we were talking about, is um, trying to, like, marry the part of your brain where like you have an eating disorder and you want to try and sort that out with the weight issues because they're two different things right like I might if if I didn't have an eating disorder I might still be fat like that's not I know that they are linked but they're separate in that I don't, I no longer look at myself and I'm I'm like wait um being fat is this negative thing that I need to try and change. I look at myself and think I'm a beautiful fat woman and I'm happy with myself. And if there are any things I need to change, it's not because I think I look bad. 
it's because I want to be healthier or I want to be whatever. And so it's hard to kind of like try to carry the two things and going forward with them to kind of like, you know. Yeah. Do you think life would be easier for you if, in a sense, control was taken away in the way that it was no longer tied to your volition when and what you eat? So say we had a live-in chef who you gave a comprehensive list of your favorite meals. This is what I like to eat for breakfast. This is what I like to eat for dinner. Here are little snacks I like to have here and there. And then throughout the day, at times they determine, they come to you and give you the meal. And so it's no longer a case of you have to decide when you are hungry or when you are craving food or when you are obsessing so much that you just want to placate that sense of, neurotic desire for this one thing i've got to have it. i've got to have it do you think if control was taken away from you in that way you would function better or do you think you would resist it and kind of fight against it and book against that overarching paternalistic assertion of control over your life from an outside party i've thought about this before just in terms of, like, what would you do if you were rich? Well, I'd probably have, like, a chef or something to help. But <clears throat> I don't think it would help because... So you know how some people are like, yeah, well, I just don't have it in the house. And that way, if I don't have it in the house, I can't eat it. You know, like, in terms of, like, junk food, maybe. Maybe they don't have chocolate in the house or crisps or chips in the house. That way they can't eat it because it's not there. I'm not like that. As soon as I run out of chocolate, I have to go to the... Actually, not even as soon as I run out. As soon as I know I'm running out, I have to go and get more. And so I don't think that would work because because I think about it like... It is kind of like obsessive-compulsive behaviour, right? Because I am obsessed. I am addictive. Think about how you feel when... You have to do. You have to have that control. You have to do them in the way you need to do it, otherwise, you it will just it will just drive you mad. That's what it's like. If if I'm thinking about eating, so the one side of me is thinking about eating, and then the other side is thinking, you know, you're not actually hungry though, because you've already had like your breakfast, and then you already had a snack, and you know you're going to eat a meal in like an hour right? You know that. You know you're not actually physically hungry. But I can't stop thinking about it. And then for the next like excruciating like 20 minutes or whatever, you all you do is think about it. You try and immerse yourself into other things, but all you think about is the food. You know it's there in the cupboard or the fridge and you're like, I've just, I've got to fucking have it. And eventually, depending on how long you can last, you get up and you eat it because you have to eat it. That's what it's like. So if that was taken away from me, you know how like we saw in Shark Tank that one time and it was like that thing that like where you put like your junk food in it, it's got a lock on it and it's got a timer and you can't get into it. It's like a safe for your kitchen. I would murder someone. (laughs) (laughs) You would become an expert safe cracker. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I don't think I would survive if someone would say, no, you can't have it like a child. Which is 
yeah, won't go into that. I was going to say that's also part of where my disordered eating comes from, like the way things were when I was a kid. It wasn't handled correctly. Yeah, so I was either not allowed things and then forced to eat things on other occasions, and that was where my disordered eating started. So, yeah, so I don't think that would work for me. It's a case that's like where a long answer, but you have to cultivate your own sense of discipline and mm. sense of willpower. So what about a utopian future where those mad scientists and their <laughs> wacky innovations have found a way to divorce the type of food it is from its caloric value? So, for example, right now, lettuce is quote-unquote good for you because it has relatively few calories whereas a double cheeseburger is quote-unquote bad for you because it has so many calories even though it's relatively small what if we got to a point where that was no longer the case they could both have next to no calories and maybe you could even engineer it so you could determine what the macronutrients were in them so right now a cheeseburger is not very good for you because it has so many carbs and so many bad fats and blah 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 but maybe in the future they could have it so nutritionally is like perfect for you, no matter what the food is. So in that situation where it doesn't matter what type of food you're having in relation to how it affects your body, they're all perfect for you because they've all been engineered in this perfect way. How do you think you would approach food then? Well, and my answer kind of links into what I was actually just going to say, but didn't say it. I say that I've never dieted, but actually, in a way, I am kind of constantly in this feeling of being hungry. I don't know if that's because... Oh, yeah, that's because I have an eating disorder. I'm addicted to food, right? So any moment that I'm not eating is me being restrained. And I know that some of listening might be like, yeah, but you, even if you let yourself the addiction take over, you wouldn't be eating every second of the day. I wouldn't be eating every second of the day, but an hour wouldn't go by without me eating. I would be eating every hour, for sure. I mean, the longest I go without food is probably when we do this podcast. <laughs> because we do this podcast and it takes like four hours, and I have to have a snack before we do it, and then we eat as soon as we've done it. Because I can't go that long without food. Um, <clears throat> maybe we just need to do a podcast every day then <laughs> yeah. so there's like a four or five hour gap that's like the longest I go without food so if I am in a constant mode of self-restraint so when I say oh I've had breakfast I've already had a snack and I'm agonizing over having a second snack before my meal that's me to other people being restrained but I couldn't do any more than that because any more than that would be way too much agony. That was like a Herculean effort yeah. in itself. Yeah, I'm already not eating all the time I want to be eating. Yeah. I'm eating in a very... <clears throat> I'm in a habit, these past few years, I'm in a habit that I've never been in. It wasn't till like three years ago that I started eating breakfast. I wasn't a breakfast person. Um, and if I did eat in the sort of morning time, it would just be junk food. Like if I if I had to go to school or like when I was at uni, 
I wouldn't eat while I was in the house in the morning, but then as soon as I'd get to uni, I'd get like a chocolate bar or something. So I never ate breakfast. Then the past few years, we started eating breakfast. And when I met you a few years before that, I started having proper meals at like a certain time of day. Um, I never lived like that before. So it's really, this is actually probably the most ordered my eating has ever been. Is that structure good for you, do you think? I think it is good for me in terms of like, I know when I wake up, I'm going to get to eat something and I'm finally in a place where breakfast is fine. Like I can do it. And then I know after breakfast in about three to six hours, because we we don't do it at the same time every day, but I know three to six hours from now, I'm going to have a meal. If three hours has gone by, I don't even wait three hours, I have breakfast and then about an hour and a half later or an hour later, I have some kind of snack, usually chocolate. Then I wait another hour, an hour and a half, and hope that by then we're going to have our meal. And then often I feel bad because I've just made myself a smoothie or something. Yeah. So if it's on, and I don't want to eat just yet. Yeah. So if it's on a day where your 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 kind of like space between breakfast and dinner is like longer, you want to have a smoothie, or when we go we go on like the exercise bike a few times a week. So if we, I know I'm going to go on the exercise bike, I'll have another small snack, go on the exercise bike, and then I know once we've been on the exercise bike, we'll eat a meal. We have a big meal, our portions, my portions. I've actually, that's something, one of the only things I've ever been able to do successfully in terms of my eating. My portions used to be out of control. Like I would just fill the plate or the bowl with whatever food it was and have as much as I possibly could make, right? And just to give an example, I like to have fries, French fries, with, like, every meal. I used to eat, like, 600 grams of fries every day. Now I have ranging from, like, 250 to 290 grams a day. So you've more than halved it. Exactly. And that portion of, say, let's go to the highest one, 290, that's bigger than, even though it seems small now to me, it's still bigger than like the fries you get. You know, you yeah. get like a McDonald's or a KFC or something. The fries you get with that, that's it's smaller. Yeah, it's a little box. So in some respects, my portion of fries is still bigger. It's still a big portion to some people, but it's like gone down so much. Yeah. So that's just to give an example of the portion control. And right now you actually measure the fries to maintain I measure them every day size. to try and maintain that. Um but I would still say we have like hearty meals every day. Yeah. Like, and then afterwards I'll have some kind of like dessert slash chocolate. And then I don't really eat and then we go to sleep. But occasionally, depending on how long we're awake, I'll have another little snack. Right. And when I say snack, I'm always talking about chocolate. Sure. Some kind of chocolate good, whether it's chocolate bar, chocolate cake, ice cream, it's some kind of chocolate. So, pretty sure you're in the pocket of big cocoa. Yeah, that might not seem funding your propaganda on this podcast. (laughs) And then, obviously, when I have bad days where I'm like the binge eating takes over, and I and I actually feel like I 
Most days I'm able to stop myself after so much. But when I have days where I'm like, I just want to eat everything and I can't stop. Say I'm having like a particularly down, like depressive period or something. I give in easier. Like I know I'm in a bad place and I know that what's best for me right now is to just do what my mind needs because I can't fight seven battles at once i can either survive and eat whatever i want or i can just be in like agony like constant agony so i do have those days but even then i don't get out of like i'm sure there are people who maybe even listening who are like binge eaters and they're like bitch you don't even know what binge eating (laughs) is like it's all relative. Obviously. I have it in control now more than I ever had. Like there were times in the past where I would eat like 10 bags of chips a day. I'm talking about crisps, chips. I love how depending you're on where you're from. It. Yeah. I would eat them in a row. I would sit there, eat them in a row, and I would also eat chocolate and I would drink soda and then I would, you know, I would just eat 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 everything in the house. I would just eat it. I don't I don't eat, do it like that anymore. Um The only thing I've ever kind of successfully, not even really successfully, but semi-successfully been able, the only thing I deprive myself of, because I really hate that, like, you know, when you know people and you're like, I don't, I know I don't eat carbs or I don't eat whatever. Like I roll my eyes. I know that's wrong, but I do. I roll my eyes and I'm like, I can't leave. Maybe it's partly because I'm jealous that I don't have the willpower to like do that. But yeah, the only thing I've kind of semi done that with is crisps, aka chips. Um, because I know if I have them in the house, I'm going to eat them all in a row. Um, and so, you know, I only have them every now and then. Right. Now. I let myself have a couple of bags every now and then. Um, and I actually went a few years without eating crisps at all because I just, that's my. That's Your my, red line. Yeah, that's my like. I'm going to fucking eat the world. And the world is made of chips and I'm going to sure. eat it. Like, um, whereas chocolate, eventually I'll get sick of it. Like I'll, I'll feel like I can't eat any more chocolate. Whereas crisps didn't get like that for me. I could just eat bag after bag after bag. Um, yeah. Do you think if the, I mean, the thing you were talking about earlier, those kind of pills you can take that have that very, unsophisticated punitive aspect to them where in a sense they kind of punish you and make you feel bad and sometimes make you hurt when you overeat as a way to kind of in almost a pavlovian sense condition you to associate that practice with a negative outcome yeah those obviously in a lot of ways kind of silly because it's treating people as if they're children it's treating people as if they're robots that you can input these very simplistic commands into and get a very simplistic response in return. And so let's put those aside. But what do you think about the idea of, A, something that even if it's pharmaceutical, it's maybe as simple as just an appetite suppressant? And B, what do you think about the idea of that part of your brain that is in a sense kind of miswired that's kind of dysfunctional that gives you too much of the pleasant neurochemicals when you overeat 
if that could be fixed, you know, however surgically or in some far-flung sci-fi future with some kind of nanorobots, whatever, <laughs> if that could be quote-unquote fixed, would you want to do that? Yes, just like I want my antidepressants to make the chemical imbalance in my brain, I want it to balance it out. Just like I want my antidepressants to work, I would want, if there was like a real, not like we want to make loads of money pill, but like this real kind of like medical breakthrough of like, we now know how to help correct that part of your brain, then yes, I think I would take it. If I knew it was like a real thing, but all these like weight loss type pills, they're either appetite suppressants or they're going to make your body do that thing where you yeah. dispel the nasty stuff and it's like a form of torture. In terms of appetite suppressants, this is tricky because it's just like eating when you're not hungry. I know I'm not hungry, but I still eat because I love food and I like how it makes me feel. So you could say that I don't have an appetite right now because I'm not hungry, but I still eat. So I don't know if suppressing the appetite would work. Like it would have to be, I also feel like just suppressing the appetite would be dangerous because you do actually have to eat. And so how long does it suppress it for? Just right. a few hours? Like I'm not really, I don't really know enough about it to say. But you can still eat even when you're not physically hungry. That's what I mean. When I'm not physically, like, I, I, let's put it this way. I barely feel hungry in my tummy. You know, like when people, oh, my, I feel hunger pains. When it feels and empty and it's yeah, growling. I don't feel that. You know why? Because I eat all the time. And so. It's more of a psychological It's hunger. a psychological thing. It's like, I want to eat, so I eat. Like, so I don't think the appetite suppressant thing would work for me. Also. Talking about like appetite suppressants and things, the antidepressant that I take, one of the like things on the, I don't know if it's listed on the side effects or just one of the things, but like it says increasing appetite. Right. <laughs> you know what else also ha makes you have an increase in appetite? The um, contraceptive implant. I also have that. Right. Yeah. So. I have the contraceptive implant and I take antidepressants and each of those things, it's like when people say, oh, I went on the pill and it made me gain weight. Gain weight. It's not making you gain weight, it's giving you a bigger appetite, right. which is causing you to eat more. So the actual thing itself isn't making you make gain weight. Um, so I have these two things as well as an addiction to food. So it's yeah. very, like I know. The deck is stacked against yeah, you. Yeah, like I can feel, it's like, you know what's also funny is well? it's like when women, some women say, oh, I'm getting my period, so all I did all day today was eat. Like, there are certain hormones as well. Like, I know when I'm like, I just know that that hormone or whatever in my body is like making me want to eat. Like, there's a difference between that and that constant need to eat that I feel through an eating disorder. So you have all those different things that you've got to try and like... Balance. navigate yeah. it's really fucking hard it's really fucking hard and you know what is also really hard losing weight i'm just gonna say this like i feel like people are just like oh lose weight and i'm like all right but like losing weight the only way you lose weight is because you starve yourself your body has become used to, i don't know how many calories i 
I don't ever look at ingredient lists. I don't know how many calories I eat a day. I don't know how many calories you're supposed to eat a day. I'm totally like not up on things like that. So this is just an example. If your body's used to eating 2,000 calories a day and then you try to go a day without eating 2,000 calories, you're going to feel that. It's like if if I don't eat, you know, sometimes if I don't eat for three hours, I get the shakes. Right. It's because my body's going into carb withdrawal or whatever. It's usually <laughs> carbohydrate. Did you just throw out a term you no, don't understand? Carbohydrate withdrawal is a thing. Okay. So if, you, if you're not getting the carbs that you usually have or the sugar that you usually have, your body freaks out. It's the same as always drinking coffee and then never drinking coffee your body's freaking out because you're not getting that caffeine used to it and i can and feel the shakes already because it. i haven't eaten in a few yeah. hours um that's a real thing so sure sounds plausible if you go from eating 2000 calories a day to 1200 calories a day you're essentially starving yourself so what happens then is you then go down to eating 1,200 calories a day for like four weeks. Say you do that, like I'm going to try and lose weight for four weeks. Kind of like what people would say is like a detox. I'm on a detox, so for a month I'm not going to have chocolate. You're doing the weirdest and I'm not little... Have, I'm not going to have fast food. I'm not going to have anything right good. Like I'm not going to eat white Why bread. Why are you pumping your fists up know. and down? <laughs> like you're speed walking yeah. to a bakery? And then after that month they start eating the way they used to eat. So they go back to eating more than 1,200 calories a day. So then what your body does is it just fucking eats it all up and you gain back the weight. If you try to lose weight, your body is just waiting for that moment to gain that weight back because you've lived your whole life eating 2,000 calories a day. And that's why people often don't, keep the weight off like they always say you're gaining back in five years because your body just has it has to spring back there's like a rubber band effect if you do keep the weight off that is because you are depriving yourself like whether however you want to tell yourself that you're not you have stopped eating something that you're used to eating you have gone down in portion size you only have two snacks a day instead of four snacks a day that's you starving yourself. I just want to like, interject it because I feel like you're missing something fairly simple. Maybe you're not and I'll just bring it up and we'll see. But so weight loss is very simple in a sense when you look at it in a logical, very dry mathematical sense. It's as simple as you have to burn more calories than you consume. And so to take your number, I think you're missing the idea of you still consume 2000 calories but you burn an extra 500 calories in exercise that you weren't doing beforehand. So you're still consuming the same amount of calories, but you're burning off more of them than you used to. I wasn't talking about in relation to exercise. I'm just talking about in relation to eating. But you're saying the only way to lose weight is to quote-unquote starve yourself, but you can eat the same and just exercise more. Yeah, I don't know how well that works. That's essentially what I'm trying to do now. I don't want to be thinner i just want to be able to like walk a certain amount and not be exhausted so quickly it's more your cardio yeah it's more i want to be yeah i want to just be um i guess you would say fitter then i want to be fitter but that has nothing to do with the weight 
in terms of like the way I look. I am perfectly happy with the way I look. However, I, like I said, I want to be not out of breath. I want to be whatever. So I am essentially trying to do that. I am not decreasing any further the stuff that I eat. Yeah. I t- talked earlier about going down from 600 grams of fries to 290. But that was over like... A long time. Six months. like, And that was like a few years ago now. I am no longer decreasing that put those portions. I'm at the level of eating that I realistically can stay You're at. at. The like if minimum baseline. Yeah, if I try to deprive myself of any more, like that would be just terribly difficult. Like I need psychological help in order to do that. So I am exercising, trying to, a few times a week, just for like 20 minutes. Like I'm not even going crazy. And over time, as I get used to it, I want to try and do it a little bit more. Like I want it to be every other day, right? But that's only because I don't, I'm not an active person. I am in the house pretty much 100% of the time. And so I need to be able to like, for instance, go on the exercise bike in order to get any kind of active activity. Um, So 20 minutes a day, every other day. And I'm hoping that that will help me um, I can already tell it's helped in terms of like stamina a little bit. Like we'll walk to wherever and I won't be tired as quickly, right? Yeah. Um, and I also want it to help. I don't want to gain more weight. So I want it to help me to not gain more weight. And the only reason for that is, is because I want to be able to do things. Like I don't want to get to a point where I can't tie my own shoelaces. Um and sometimes I can't. Sometimes you help me put my shoes on. And so I want to be, I want to get through that. I want to get past that. Okay. You know? Um, so, yeah, the, I mean. My question is, I sometimes wonder if. Hold that thought because I realize now you said I kept talking about starving yourself. And I didn't mean like. I just meant you're constantly in that form of like my food is controlled and I'm stopping myself from eating the things I want to eat. That's what I meant. It's like a continual yeah. exertion and you of will, Yeah, effort. and you will be doing that forever. Right. But eventually you would get used to it and you wouldn't have to try anymore. Just like you don't have to try and have a lower portion. You've gotten used to it now. To an extent. I've gotten used to that area like the reason why I said it goes from 250 to 290 is I always have less than 300 grams. Sometimes I can let myself go down to 250 and some days I'm like, I can't because it seems too little. Right. I have to have 290. But also I know if I stopped weighing them, I would fill the bowl again. Yeah. So I do, I'm used to it in a sense that when I eat my meal, I'm not hungry. Like you'd think going from 600 to 200 are you left hungry? At first I was, but you have to give yourself a few weeks to get used to that amount of food. But you talking in terms of getting used to it, you'll get used to it like that. But if you're depriving yourself of like chocolate and white bread or soda or coffee, I can't imagine you going however many years having like, those types of things are like things, if you cut it out, you'll have to cut it out forever and I can't imagine saying I'm never going to eat chocolate again for the rest of my right. life. I would not 
do that like that's not something I would want to do because for me like I said earlier I love food I want to be able to eat those things and drink those things yeah I I get that I think that's fair it's like saying I'm going to cut out art or I'm going to cut out walking places or I'm going to cut out doing some kind of creative endeavor it's such a integral part of what you enjoy about life that it's just not realistic to eliminate it entirely okay so the point i was going to make earlier is sometimes i wonder if you are so kind of single-mindedly focused on this idea of body acceptance and fat positivity which is good it's a very admirable very ethical very mentally healthy stance i have no problem with it whatsoever but my point would be i sometimes question whether you would look at losing weight and you personally getting slimmer as a betrayal of that standpoint of that principle because in a way it would be like you saying no no fat isn't good because i want to decrease my weight Whereas I don't think it necessarily has to be that. You can say fat is good, slim is good, it's all good, it's all beautiful, it's all worthwhile. You as a person are worthwhile at any weight. I just personally would prefer to decrease my weight or increase it or gain muscle or gain fitness or whatever it is, change in whatever way I see fit, in whatever way I find desirable. I don't think that necessarily entails you saying that the state which I'm trying to depart from, which I'm trying to improve in the way that I think is an improvement, is bad. You're not necessarily saying that, if you see what I'm saying. It's really, and I'll admit this, it's really... (sighs) Being someone who is kind of like accepting of their body and the way I put, like I, the way I look way I feel the way the weight that I am when I start to think about yeah but actually ideally I would like to drop a few pounds and be fitter because I want to be able to tie my own shoes and because I want to be able to walk a certain distance it is hard to Like, I do feel bad. I do sometimes feel, is that me saying I'm not perfect the way I am? I am perfect the way I am. And this is is how I look at it. This is how I try to look at it. I am this way. I am this weight. My body is this shape. I feel beautiful. I'm happy. Now, you have time. You have a chance to do something. Do you want to stay the way that you are? Or do you want to do something different? And I'm saying, the only thing I want to do different is to be able to tie my shoes and to be able to walk a certain distance without being so exhausted. And since I've been at a lower weight, I've been like 20 pounds lighter. I've been 40 pounds lighter. I'm saying I know if I was 20 pounds lighter, I would be able to tie my shoes and I would be able to walk further. 
Because when we were living in the city, I was lighter and I could walk further. But then I gained some pounds and I don't feel as like, I don't have as much energy. That's just a fact for me. I'm sure there are people out there who weigh more than me, who are fatter than me, who have tons of energy, who can do all the things that they want to do. For me, I just want to be able to do those few things. And there is a part of me that does feel a kind of betrayal because I I don't want it to ever seem that I'm saying I'm not happy and I am not beautiful because I am. Does that make sense? Of course. Does that make me a hypocrite? No. I think you have to just try and withhold the value judgments and just look at it objectively. You're saying there are things I can't do right now that I'd like to be able to do. It's like if you had two people and one of them didn't know how to drive a car and the other person did, they're both the same in terms of they're both worthwhile human beings. Yeah. They're both valuable. They're both important. But one of them knows how to do something, the other doesn't. And so if you are a person who doesn't know how to drive a car, that's fine. You can go the rest of your life not knowing how to drive a car and you're still a valuable, worthwhile person. But if you choose to learn how to drive, take driving lessons, go through the whole rigmarole, you are not saying that the way you were before was bad. You're just saying that you want to develop something in yourself. You want to gain a new ability or a new skill. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ever going to get to that point, if I'm ever going to be any fitter than I am, if I'm ever going to lose 20 pounds and be able to tie my shoe. That's just an example. I'm not saying that's actually how much I need to lose to tie my shoes. It's an example. I don't know that. I don't know if I'm going to get bigger. I might. But you have to, for me, in order to survive, I have to just be at a place of, I can't worry about that for the rest of my life. And that's what I kind of like, that's why it makes me sad when other people And when earlier I was talking about I roll my eyes when people deprive themselves of things because they're not just depriving themselves of this one thing for a week so they can try and lose weight so they can fit into that perfect dress. They're depriving themselves of something that they really want for the rest of their life. And I can't see any happiness in that. I personally couldn't live like that because I want to try and be realistic. Life isn't going to be worth living if you're not having all the things that you enjoy and what i enjoy is food there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it exactly and the wrong way to do it is to take the weight loss pills you see on infomercials Mm. at midnight the wrong way to do it is to do these extreme fad diets where you completely upend the way that you look at food the way that you consume food and you have a very narrow very eccentric way of having meals or consuming certain nutrients more than others the right way to do it is to find a way to incrementally change your eating habits and the things that you eat in such a way as each step of the process is still compatible can still be integrated with you living a enjoyable well-rounded worthwhile life yeah and it's a bigger conversation to have, but I just want to say it's also I take issue with why people want to change. 
if you want to change for reasons like what I said or reasons like I just prefer myself to look a certain way and I prefer myself that way because of whatever, whatever, that's fine. But if you want to change because other people want you to change, that's not okay. It has to be for you. It has to be for you because of you, not because of other people, not because you think the world is telling you you should be thin. Yes, there's um, a large part of like media and society that is saying this is what's beautiful and this is what's not. But actually, in the real world, in your life, in your house, in your place, you can be whatever you want to be and it doesn't have to be six foot tall, thin, blonde, whatever. Like, find out what makes you happy. Find out when you look in the mirror what you would be happy with. Because if you do lose like a hundred pounds and like do all the things that you want to do and then you still look in the mirror but think you're really like gross no one has won that battle yeah no one so you know it's just like taking those pills okay yeah it might make me vomit and then i'd like lose weight but i'm still mentally like in a prison of like wanting to constantly eat you're not fixing anything yeah I just wonder how detached and independent anyone's value judgments in that arena are. No man is an island, in a sense, because we're all influenced by other people, by society at large, by advertising, by what we see in movies, by what we read in books, by what we overhear people saying. And so for someone to say... I want to lose weight because I think slimmer looks better. And then to go on to say, but I'm not saying that because all of these supermodels are real thin and all of these quote unquote beautiful actresses are all thin and everyone around me is saying that you have to lose weight, you have to diet, you have to get thinner and slimmer for the perfect beach body or whatever it is. I'm just saying it because I on my own completely detached completely independent from all of that have come to this conclusion my question is how true is that because you have grown up in this swirling cauldron of everyone else's opinion on the matter everyone else's value judgment everyone else's ideals that they aspire towards i see what you're saying i actively book against that type of thing and that's kind of how i do it Like earlier when I was saying how everyone's beautiful and people who are clearly bad dancers are good dancers because they're so free. And that might have made me sound like an asshole. And it might have. However, (laughs) you don't have to worry. That's how you that's how you change the way you feel because you actively book against it. You have to actively say, no, I actually think that the fattest person in the room is the most beautiful. And that's but how are you they the it. most beautiful or are they as beautiful as everyone else, including the no, same No, you know people? what I mean? It's just an example. Like, for instance... But by booking like, against it, aren't you going to the other extreme where you're saying, I think fat is beautiful and I look at the girl who's super skinny and blonde and whatever it is and I, you know, is there, isn't there a danger of becoming too much on the defensive, too much of a contrarian in yeah, that sense. Yeah, of course, because there are obviously some bigger people who have like 
they're in like the body acceptance movement and they, you know, it's like when people say real women have curves and all this. Yeah. I am not for that. You're then saying that fatter women are better than thinner women. And what we're actually saying by saying fat women are beautiful is not that fat women are better. Fat women deserve the same respect yeah. and adoration as thin women. They are also beautiful. Yeah, it's like I like I would never just like I wouldn't be like, oh, that person's so fat. I'm not going to be like, oh, that person's so skinny because it's the same. It's exactly the same. Yeah. And while thin people haven't been treated the way fat people have, um, they still need. Everyone still needs to be treated the same. Um, everyone so, needs love and acceptance. Yeah. and a positive environment to exist in. So when I say I book against it, what I really mean is. Say, like, if I'm watching a, f a movie and a character comes on screen and everyone's like, oh, my God, wow, she's so beautiful. Like, I wish I was as pretty as her. And the person saying it is beautiful, but, like, maybe they have brown hair and, like, maybe they're, like, a size 14 instead of a size 8 and maybe they're not dressed the same way. I personally can see that that person is really beautiful and because of my preferences i would then probably be like actually i think she's more beautiful than this like other woman who walked in because it's like when i was saying earlier are you saying that person's hot because she's skinny and blonde and has big boobs and that's what society has said is the best thing in the world but actually are you looking at her face and saying that's what i prefer no you're not and that's why it's different. I'm looking at that person and taking everything in that I see. And if it's making me feel good and making me smile, then I enjoy it. That person might be thin, that person might be fat. However, there are some people that automatically see fat and can never accept that person. And that's what you have to try to get around or get over or ignore or whatever. Like you have to say, no, fat is not bad. Despite what everyone in the world is telling me, fat is not bad, fat is not ugly, fat is not lazy, fat is not worthless, fat deserves my respect just as much as anyone else. Now let me look at you, you know? Yeah, so there has to be that active conscious resistance because someone yeah. is telling you that you're lesser than. Yeah, I get that totally, makes sense. It's kind of on you to push back against that kind of negative energy being directed towards you and what you represent. Yeah. So, yeah, I think maybe we should wrap up that topic there. Else, this so is going to be like, an infinitely yeah. long podcast. I'm sure we'll touch on other aspects of like what these topics yeah. kind of fold out into, whether it's like weight or like beauty or like whatever enjoying like food food there's so many yeah. aspects we're gonna to come back to it it's yeah. gonna be a recurrent subject on this podcast because it's in interesting to talk about it's such a hot button topic in a way mm. and it's so like the kind of heartening thing the thing that makes me optimistic is that it seems like people are improving their perspective on this they are getting better at looking at everyone and not pointing at certain people and saying well they're lesser they're less beautiful because of x y or z so i think there are some kind of positive trends emerging in the kind of collective psychology 
yeah, I think if people could just try to stop seeing negatives all over the place and just try to see some kind of beauty in everyone, then... Just try and see people for the person that yeah, they are. Yeah, instead of seeing those other things that you for some reason have a problem with, then I think we'd all just be better for it, honestly. Do you think the world would be better if you couldn't see what the other person looked like? If everyone was in like full body coverings and so you only got to see what the person actually looked like when you had developed a friendship or a relationship with them and then you kind of, there's almost like a ritual of <clears throat> unclothing where you show the other person what you actually look like. But up until then, you just get to know them based on their personality. No, I don't think it would. Because how many times do you see like things like catfish where, oh my God, I'm so in love, but then you find out the person's fat and it's like, I don't want anything to do with you. And they try and say it's because that person lied, but really it's because they're fat. It's like, no, just be real. Like, So I don't think that would work. I also think that would just be sad, terribly sad. You'd also find something negative in the way a person speaks. Like, So there's no way around it. What we have to do is teach people from very early ages we somehow have to try and get rid of this like form of like negative judgment that we have there are some people who really can just not judge others and then a lot of us have trouble with it um and you do you form judgments as soon as you see people what we need to take away is all those negative things that attach themselves. You can still judge a person based on what you see, but actually all those things are now positive or all those things are at least not negative. I don't know how we do that. I don't know how we do that. But if you're not actively trying to do that, then I hope that you do. I think you're probably right that people would even given the small amount of data they would have just interacting with someone on an intellectual level, on a speech level, they would. there are a lot of people who just have it in them to nitpick any yeah. little thing they can get their hands on mentally. And so, yeah, I think you have to kind of, instead of searching for those palliative solutions of removing people's ability to poke fun at how someone looks you need to address the root problem of why they feel the need to do that in the first place i just wanted to say as a last thing as well i wish people were more self-aware because i feel like so many people that do like judge others and that do kind of like pick apart others it really is that they're doing it because of their own stuff You know, it really is true when someone bullies you, it's because they have their own issues. They're projecting their own insecurities. And I wish people were just more self-aware because if they were more self-aware, they would realise, no, that's my stuff, that's my shit, that's the way I feel. I shouldn't put that onto other people. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what I have to say, really, because I feel like I could go on and on and on and I think we should just move on to the next topic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the next article is a news story on The Guardian entitled No Encounters, colon, Most Ambitious Alien Search to Date Draws a Blank. And 
there was this $100 million effort to use several of those massive telescopes to search some of the nearest stars to our solar system and listen for, you know, extraterrestrial signals, albeit in a very narrow band of the radio spectrum. But despite those caveats, it was, as the title suggests, the most ambitious search in this form to date. And a year in, they've released a report that basically says they found nothing. All of the leads that they came across turned out to be dead ends. They were just either false positives from the signals that we earthlings are putting out there, or they were things that they picked up on that turned out to not be what they thought. And so I read this, and every so often you read an article like this where it's like, astronomers have searched another part of the galaxy and found no life yet again. And it's just so dispiriting and so depressing every time that you read something like that. And it does seem to be more and more often nowadays. And so I just want to talk about, A, whether you think extraterrestrial life in any form does exist or may exist. And B, what do you think the philosophical implications are if humanity really is alone in this unimaginably vast and lifeless universe when you say they their most like detailed search today they're just searching for the people or any kind of life they're searching for radio signals which would be indicative of some kind of alien civilization so people like us, if not the same. There's no... But that's what I'm trying to understand. But the point is, it looking for signals doesn't assume what type of life produced them. Okay. So any kind of life. Yeah, any type of life that could have developed the technology, the capacity to put radio signals out there. It's hard to imagine and like comprehend or fathom that we're the only people in the whole universe. But at the same time, if you try to think of it like, yeah, but if there's no other place exactly like Earth, then why would there be people exactly like us, right? Because the place that they are needs to have the exact same environment in order for people to evolve, like creatures or If they're going to be exactly the same as humans, yeah. yeah. So there's that. But then if you're just thinking about like other life forms that are like something other than... Um, Humans. No, I meant if other life forms that are so like other types of animals or um, anything resembling something between an animal and a human kind of type creature. Um, I could understand that because obviously places are different and that might be what's created because of that atmosphere and that kind of like the preconditions created a different creature so i think maybe i've i think i might have come to the conclusion in my own head that there aren't going to be people that if we do find something it's going to be a kind of animal or somewhere between an animal and a person because unless the place is the same as ours why would there be people? 
Right. You're looking at me with this. Yeah, because I don't really know. This skeptical. is not really like something. This is something I'm deciding right now. Okay. I think, but like, no one's suggesting that there are going to be. I know, but that's just the way I think about it. Replications of humanity out yeah. there in the stars. I think that's just what the way I think about it. Uh, what about you? I feel like I don't know, and I feel like we can't know because there's no evidence to go on. But what do you think? But it's like you saying, "Do you think there's a god?" I have no evidence no, to go on. It's not the same. It's exactly the it's same. It's not the same. There's no evidence whatsoever. But there's no evidence that there is a god. Right, and there's no evidence that there is alien life. Okay, and so but... you saying, what do you think, is basically saying, what do you guess? And I'm guessing That's on literally nothing. It would just be a gut feeling. And I don't really sway one way or the other, honestly. I think when you really try and wrap your head around how big the universe is, and of course we can only see the observable universe, it may be even larger than we think. It may be even larger than we can imagine, even larger than we can kind of envision in our heads. The maths may have to be this very abstract thing where we can never really think about it in a concrete kind of very intuitively understandable way. So when you really try and think about just how big our backyard is in terms of the rest of the universe it does seem slightly implausible that nothing even remotely resembling what we would call life would be out there it seems that there are so many planets out there that surely there must be some at least extremely lowly form of life like what we would think of as um, single-celled organisms like that to me just seems like it makes sense but again I'm basing it on nothing I'm basing it basically just on wishful thinking of wouldn't it be cool if yeah. that was the case I feel pretty certain that there's not a world like ours anywhere and I know they've found places before that like they have water. Kind of Earth-like. Yeah. yeah. But when they say kind of Earth-like, they're not really saying like Earth. They're like, they're saying they have water yeah. and things like that. And so, I don't know. The universe is hard to accept on its own. That's why a lot of people don't accept it. That's why a lot of people think the Earth is flat and there's no fucking space and all that bullshit. Because it is hard to accept. Especially when you don't really know anything about it which is like us really we don't really know anything about it um it's hard to accept that there's all that stuff out there and then it's hard to also accept that there might not be people we're the only people i wish you'd stop saying people that's such a because that's what you think of as like other life like if there's other plants i'm not really going to be that excited but that is life no i know but for me, unless they find like animals that are like, but animals aren't people. But let me finish. Okay. Unless they find, obviously, if they find like insects, I don't give a shit. If they find plants, you I won't don't care give a if shit. they find insect life on Mars. I would imagine there is insects on Mars. But why would you imagine that? Because there's dirt, and that's <laughs> oh, the way God. my brain works. I'm a simple human, don't you know? <sighs> No, but I'm just saying, like, 
unless they find some kind of animal bigger than an in like bigger than okay Frog yeah, bigger than an ins yeah, like not even a lizard, I don't think I'd be too excited. But like something like furry. That <laughs> sounds terrible. That makes me sound so terrible. You just want but it to like, be a cute furry animal no, you could have. Not even that, on. like if they found something rat like, which I don't think is cute, but like that would be really interesting. But if they found like a fucking spider or a or a flower, I'm not gonna be that interested to be honest. I really don't. I, I can't even comprehend that perspective. I'm sure if I saw a picture of the flower, I would be like, yay, that's amazing. But I'm not going to be like, fucking whoa, let's have a fucking day to remember this. I feel like you haven't really tried to comprehend, A, how large the universe is, and B, what it means for this tiny, tiny, infinitesimally small pinprick of it that we exist, the Earth, to be the only place in the whole of the universe that has quote-unquote life. I think if you really try to wrap your head around that and contemplate the significance of that idea, if there was a single-celled organism on Mars, it would be the most important discovery of all time by leaps and bounds. I know that. You clearly don't. I do, but doesn't mean I have to be excited. Like, you just want me to say I would be excited. I don't want you to say anything. I just don't understand your if the way fa- you're coming at it. Because I, I don't know how big the universe is. I know that I can't comprehend how big it is. I know that there's stuff out there that we haven't seen. I know that it's massive and there's so much to try and discover. I know that, like checking for radio signals or whatever might not even be the best way to look for certain types of life like i know this i find i want to believe that there's people out there right but i find it hard to imagine that there is just because we haven't found them that's not me saying that there isn't if there was that'd be the most mind-blowing thing that we've ever come across you're a flip-flopper i'm not you weren't (laughs) understanding what i was saying but how could it be the most mind-blowing thing but not exciting no it is what i'm saying is not exciting is i don't give a fuck if they find a spider on mars okay i don't care okay because they're insects and i don't care like what does that mean i don't know what that means to me and because i don't know what that means that's why it's not exciting if it was something else which I tried to describe, I think I would be very excited by that. That would be amazing. But I don't I'm not gonna be that interested if they find a spider or a plant. Okay. Like that's I don't think you understood what I really meant. I worry that I understand it all too well. Okay. Well I'm sorry that I can't <laughs> be excited, all right? <laughs> I'm not disappointed in your answer. I'm just boggled by it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I will be super excited, but I really can't see me being excited about an insect. All right. Because they're always finding, like, new things here, even. And I'm like, I don't... That's not interesting to me. We found a new species of spider in the Amazon. Exactly. It's like, what is that? The 900,000 version of this one spider? Yeah, however, it is exciting when they're like, actually, we realise that, like, we've got... That, like, the 
we found like a new species of ape or something. Yeah. Like that's exciting, but finding out that there's a new spider, I don't care. So where do you land on the idea of whether there is life? Do you have a definite opinion on that? There's got to be some kind of at least like animals, right? Like there can't just be empty planets everywhere except here. Why would that have happened? We ended up with all those things and none of the other planets ended up with those types of cells or whatever. That seems hard to believe. Um, And I think if we did find something resembling people, I don't... Like, what if it wasn't anything like us? Like, it was people, but, like, they hadn't inhabited the planet the way we had. They'd done something completely... Something that we can't even make up. Um... And that their way of life isn't kind of governed by all these like feelings and stuff. That would be pretty, pretty intense. Like, well, that's to the classic sci-fi trope: the idea that we, basically, everything we know of is a carbon-based life form, and the idea is usually that if we find something else, it might be something like silicon-based, which means it would be a completely different type of organism. And yeah, I think the idea of we may stumble across life and just not know that it is even quote-unquote life is very interesting. Because if we didn't know what trees were, if trees weren't on Earth, and then a 100 years from now we come across some tiny planet on the edge of our solar system, hitherto undiscovered, and there are quote-unquote trees on it, we might look at them and just think of them as some kind of weird like formation out of the ground we might not look at them and think that's actually a relatively complex living organism right Mm. there that can reproduce and that has variations and whatnot and so the same thing might happen with what we do find it might be some kind of gas and we look at gas as just this kind of inert inanimate thing that has no kind of resemblance to life but on that planet that might be its form of life what if we find a world that's just full of, like, statues and they don't have, like, bodies and stuff like we have and they don't speak the way we do, but they can communicate and the world is... You don't have... The statues don't... They don't move around. They're just kind of, like, the planet is populated completely with statues and nothing else. And, like... Isn't this trees? No, because I'm, like, statues that are actually, like made out of like rock and stuff like oh, okay that's made out of like whatever the planet's made out of right so that would be pretty wild <laughs> maybe it's just because i have somewhat of a statue fetish in that they're so amazing and like scary and intimate and like and they terrify me but i just love them they like, can be very creepy sometimes yeah. <clears throat> I feel like I you're writing that, your screenplay. Yeah, I think... <laughs> Planet of the Silent Statues, a horror film hey, in black I and white. Hey, if I see that out there anywhere, I know who's taken it. They've taken it. They've taken it. And they've taken your new word, taken. <laughs> yeah, just to be clear, I know that's not a word, <laughs> but I say that. I say it. I think that it's not completely even. It's not completely neutral in terms of... I said earlier there's no evidence either way. But in a way, you can kind of draw inferences that suggest there aren't life. Because 
we viewed quite a lot of the universe at this point, even imperfectly, even blurrily, even with our very relatively primitive technology, like telescopes and whatnot. And we've scanned for signals and so on and so forth, and we haven't found anything yet. And so to some extent, you have to explain how it could be that a advanced civilization with its own technology with its own ability to send radio waves out there into the cosmos could exist and we've just not picked up on it we can't even see it that's the problem what if there was a planet that we can see but what if what we see i can see the cogs turn in your head (laughs) isn't really what there is as in like on that planet they have like this strange atmosphere that we can't penetrate with the tools that we with have telescopes and stuff so we can't see any kind of like we can't see right down to their ground you know so we don't know if there's life and our like radio signals or whatever it is that you were talking about um Nothing we have penetrates the atmosphere. And so we can't detect what life, if any, is on that planet. Like, what if, you know... And maybe they don't yet have the technology to detect us in yeah, turn. It can't possibly be that we have every tool we need yeah, to course. discover the of rest course. of the universe. And I know obviously in time we develop new tools, but what if the tool we need, our minds can't make up? Because we can't we don't think know like what a we life need. that isn't us. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. There's also an interesting point to be made that when we look at a planet for a telescope that is, say, a thousand light years away, that means the light from that planet reflected has taken a thousand years to get to us which means that we are essentially looking back in time it's as if our telescopes are time machines but only for viewing because we are seeing that planet as it looked a thousand years ago so in the intervening time in the thousand years that have since passed to bring us to the present day there could have been life that formed on there and developed a civilization and whatnot but it will take us another thousand years to see it as it presently is right now in this moment. But also, what if, because it takes so long to get to us, the thing that gets to us is not really the thing that it projects. The light and the stuff in space kind of warps it somehow and we see only what our eyes can kind of comprehend. But what the that planet actually looks like can't ever possibly appear to us the way it really appears because we can't be right next to it yeah it takes light and like technology and a a comprehension that maybe we don't have in order to actually see what's really there and like you were kind of getting towards earlier maybe whatever life forms it is doesn't live on the surface of the planet maybe they're completely subterranean so that when you look at the surface of the planet through a telescope there's no indication whatsoever that there's anything unusual there but under the ground there are bustling cities and millions of these creatures 
Like they actually live in the planet, not yeah, on the planet. Yeah, they've like burrowed into the oh, core wow. of the planet. The problem is, if there was a sufficiently advanced civilization out there, we can kind of predict in some ways what they would do, especially when it comes to their energy needs. There's this idea of a Dyson Spear, which is a concept that suggests that if you could put machinery around a star to almost completely encase it in this energy drawing sarcophagus and just completely siphon all that heat energy and all that light energy, that would be one of the most potent, one of the most efficient ways for an incredibly advanced alien civilization to provide itself with energy. But the problem is, we can't see any stars where that has happened. And so in a way that suggests that there's no, if there is alien life, it hasn't advanced to that point where it has realized this is what it needs to do. And so that serves as a sign because we haven't advanced that far yet. But when we do... But it's not much of a sign seen as though we haven't advanced that Yeah, that's true. I'm just saying because we have so little data to go on, you have to use this deductive reasoning mm. and make these inferences to try and figure out what little you can but, but so also, you can figure out that there aren't sufficiently advanced yeah. civilizations to make a dyson sphere because there's no evidence that any star has been co-opted in that way the planet might also not need energy the way we need energy um because they might not be the type of life that we're thinking about it might be that light and things like that and like fuel we don't they don't need in the way that we need it um i just think at some point they're gonna find something that we aren't gonna be able to understand very well because the planets are so different and they are in such a different place in the universe that they're gonna be like they're just going to be completely different and it's going to be something that we just don't understand or don't know how to understand. Do you think that what's more likely that we are going to discover something or that someone's going to discover us first? You totally just stole the thought from my <laughs> short-term memory. You're such a thought stealer. Um yeah, that's an interesting question. And that's what I think some people worry about. This idea that by us scanning the cosmos for other life, we may be inadvertently starting to advertise ourselves. Mm. We may be inadvertently letting slip the fact that we exist. And if there is some infinitely more advanced alien civilization out there, that's also belligerent, that also would view something like us another life form out there as a potential threat as a potential rival or as a potential source of material that just needs to be exterminated so they can take all our natural resources we would be essentially signing our own death warrant because we would be completely unprepared for what we may bring to us i just while you were talking i had this whole like thing happen in my mind where like people from like lives from other planets like came and i mean we what would happen we can't make them leave yeah. like we can't we won't be able to 
realistically kind of like govern anything about what happens. They can come and go as they please. And what if thousands upon thousands arrive at the same time? It's not just like one group. and A lonely wanderer. Yeah, and what if like they have like... This is taking it to a crazy level. What if they have like powers or something? You sure. know, like they're not just lives the way we're lives. They're lives the way we imagine like fantastical creatures. Like they have kind of like abilities or, you know. Well, there's that quote any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic because something that we can't even imagine right now, a technology, say, some kind of nanorobots inside their bodies that make them immortal to us it's so fantastical and so inconceivable that if we were to see it we'd think it was some kind of magic we'd think it was some kind of spiritual realm that they had tapped into for life energy i don't know it will be kind of sad if we like get to like really really old and nothing (laughs) has happened like especially for you i know that that will be really sad because you know you're i would say that I'm not even, I'm not like actively interested in this type of thing, but you are. Um, more or less, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I have more... enough trouble trying to understand why I'm here, let alone other people. That's a good point. And so, and but, but it would be sad still getting to like 110 or whatever and nothing, you know. My, nothing is advanced yeah. on that front. But I think in a way, questions of the meaning of life in general and one's own life are at least tangentially tied up in the question of are we the only life in the universe because if you want to posit this idea that we're here for a reason there's some kind of supernatural intelligence that put us here and that has a plan and that has a purpose it makes no sense for the universe to be so vast and again to people who have not looked up scale models that show you really how Mm. tiny our little solar system is in comparison to the entire universe, you almost can't convey it in words, or at least I'm struggling to. That's something that you should really do at some point to really acquaint yourself with how unbelievably large the universe is. But it would make no sense for this one planet to be completely covered with our form of life and then this just unbelievably yeah. vast universe to be entirely utterly dead it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any and sense and so if that turns out to be true that throws a monkey wrench into the idea of a supernatural creator a godlike figure a deity who had ordained that human life has some kind of purpose has some kind of extraordinary value and meaning two things one what if when you die you are you that's when you get to change like planets or whatever <laughs> that was not a very sophisticated you were so way confident you had such a yeah. cocksure grin on your face when you started and then you were like how do i explain but what if this you wake up thought? and you're you're not even wake up i can't what if there's not like a word for it but you're somehow like still alive as we know it but like in something else you're in like a different sector of the universe yeah and you're maybe you don't get transported to like another body but like 
you could even be like a plant anything like and the second one is what if we find another planet or another planet finds us and they know what happens when you die and we don't right like they're like well we know that we've known that for 200 years like this is what happens like, wouldn't that be fucking wild? And what if they just don't tell us? They say you're not ready. No, that's cruel. Yeah. Well, that would be insane. For a alien race to come to us, to visit us, basically ensures that they will be wildly more advanced in yeah. their technology and their scientific understanding than us. Because they would have to have some kind of either close to light speed or actually faster than light capacity to travel they'd have to have some kind of incredible spacefaring technology some kind of spaceship that we can't even conceive of right now would we would we know if someone was coming like because obviously we have like satellites and things like at what point do you think like nasa or whatever would know that there was something in the atmosphere that was heading. You know how, like, they'll they know... they definitely it... know if it was in the atmosphere. No, that's what I mean. Like, you know, like, how they know asteroids, asteroids are going to hit yeah. and stuff. At what point do you think they'd know how close would they be? Like, well, where can we tell from? The To go back to what I was saying earlier, let's say, I don't know the actual figure, but let's say that good, deep reaching in terms of how far you can see space telescopes have been around for a hundred years which i think may be quite wrong but let's just posit that as a figure that means that anything that is more than a hundred light years away from us we can't see the current or we have never seen the current state of relative to right now anything that is 200 light years away we can only see what it looked like 200 years ago do you see what i'm saying so if in that intervening 200 years a bunch of spacecraft had materialized there and started you know plowing towards earth we wouldn't be able to see it because light doesn't travel instantaneously it takes a certain amount of time to travel a distance but what if the way they've evolved and the technology they have what if they can travel faster yeah that's the what if interesting question this the the universe only works for us the way it works for us because of the way we work does that make sense like it does in a we weird only way, yeah. understand it that way yeah because we can only understand it that way and because we only have the types of technology that can travel that way but they have that kind of like uh, that thing they have in like you're making Star a hand Wars gesture or whatever where they can like blip blip like, like a to places teleport beam yeah like yeah kind of they can travel like way 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 faster than we can in a you know in a better way um and we're thinking oh you must have been traveling 200 years to get to us or whatever but we're looking at it in our rudimentary primitive way and what if really they're like it took us six months to get here in their time or whatever because the chances are they're not going to age the way we're whoever it is is not going to unless we find another earth yeah they're not going to age the way we age and they're not going to evolve the way we evolve yeah so it might be that they last a lot longer it might be that they need different things to survive it's really interesting trying to like 
think and kind of imagine all these things. Imagine the things that you can't imagine. Of course. Like that's... Or to carry on your point, maybe they don't age. Maybe they're quote-unquote biologically immortal. And for them, traveling a thousand years, even if it is in the way that we think where it takes them a thousand years to get from there to us, is nothing to them. That's like a six-month trip. Yeah, because if their planet needs different things to stay a planet... People are going to need different things to stay pe- people in right. terms of their people in their terms, not people in they their They will terms. function in a different way. Kind of like the world of statues, that's going to be a world of statues forever because they're statues. And so these types of lives, they'll be like that forever and ever and ever. I promise you, listeners, we're not as high as we sound. Yeah. We're a two out of ten on the scale. <laughs> but yeah, to touch back on what you were saying, where we may not even be able to understand what it takes to be able to travel in the way that they would need to be able to travel. There are all these wacky theories about how if you could somehow reduce our mass to zero, we would be able to travel faster than light or at the speed of light, I think it is. There's also things like maybe there are wormholes that Mm. are somehow beneath or behind the fabric of space and time or that plow through it in an unusual way which connect black holes. And so you could go into a black hole and appear out of a different black hole on the other side of the universe, tens Mm. of thousands of light years apart. So there are all these strange conjectures about how an alien race may be able to travel in ways that we can't even imagine right now. But I wonder how much of that is just us trying desperately to find a way to say that all these limitations that we think exists that we project the idea that you can't travel even really close to the speed of light in terms of because we have physical bodies and because of what we understand about propulsion and acceleration in the vacuum of space i think to a certain extent there's a lot of kind of wishful thinking in terms of how can we come up with an idea or a theory or a way of reinterpreting the data about what we understand about all these different phenomena in space that would allow us to reinvent our understanding of all this stuff in a very sci-fi friendly way yeah but at the same time i have to issue the disclaimer that i am very very scientifically ignorant when it comes to this type of thing and pretty much all areas of science but yeah as someone interested in this and in terms of like because obviously you're interested in this in terms of like your writing as well yeah what would you prefer that we discovered them or that they discovered us in real life or in what do i life. think is more interesting no in real life i would that's an interesting question if we discovered them say if we turn one of our telescopes to the exact right position in the sky and thousands of light years away we notice that a planet has clear signs of some kind of structures on it some kind of buildings that couldn't possibly be a natural occurrence it has to be the product of some kind of to some extent intelligent life the problem with that is if they are no more technologically advanced than us we have no way of getting there they have no way of getting to us we have no way of contacting them in a timely manner they have no way of contacting us in a timely manner so it would be in a way, the ultimate anticlimax in terms of we would discover 
that there is definitely life out there, even if we can't discern any actual concrete specific details about it. But we have no way of venturing any further than that. No, but I want you to take it a step further. What would you prefer? We can travel and they can travel. Oh, okay. They arrive, them arriving here or us arriving there. I don't think it really matters as long as they're not warmongers who are looking to eradicate all of their life in the universe. It really all, regardless of whether we go there or they come here, everything depends on their discernment. Because if they are peaceable, we're not just going to nuke them yeah. preemptively. If they show no oh. signs of wanting to make war with us, or they show no signs of wanting to take advantage of our planet's resources in a kind of bellicose fashion, we have no reason to start a fight with them. And so it, in a way, all depends on how they react to us, their behavior in response to being confronted with a hitherto unknown alien species, which would be us in that case. I think it would be less scary for us to go there because obviously it would just be like a team that we don't know. It would just be like a team of people. <clears throat> but it'd be more interesting if they just arrived here, kind of like Arrival. Like we just get to watch it on the news and how well, the world reacts. Yeah, We'd have to hope that, spoiler, the world doesn't go to shit while it's happening. Like, Just FYI, it's not a spoiler for really in a, a sci-fi film when aliens come to Earth. <laughs> We react in an irrational and warmongering way. That's pretty much the trope in every sci-fi film about an alien arrival. Like, I don't think they would be, like, looting. Like, if if in one location or several locations, like, I guess, in Arrival, some someone came. Like, I don't think all of a sudden people are going to be, like, looting in the streets and, like, rioting and stuff. I don't think it would happen like that. You might have, like... Some people go in like survivalist mode, and like people would stock up on grab stuff. your bug out bag, but head I, for the mountains. Yeah, but I don't think people would necessarily just you know not go to work and just start looting. Like I think the world surprisingly would continue the way it always has, um, and we would just be. It would be a case of like they would constant. There would be like a feed you can watch where the people are but we would facebook live stream yeah of the alien but we wouldn't arrivers. have any information <clears throat> sorry any information until it was properly known you know like that's true but if they came to our atmosphere or they came to our orbit any amateur astronomer with a decent telescope would be able to look closely at their vessels mm. and see what they were doing seeing see how they were organizing their fleet so, yeah, we wouldn't be privy to any communications they conduct with our governments, with our heads of state. <clears throat> but it's not like we can be kept completely in the dark about what's going on. Mm. And I also think you are wildly optimistic and slightly naive about how people would react. I think a lot of people would take the opportunity to have that kind of chaotic rioting in the streets and breaking shop windows and stuff not because that's how they've actually been inflamed by the event itself but just because they see an opening in terms yeah. of here's a moment when we can kind of run wild when everyone else is distracted no but i think it would be minimal i think we always think you know something's gonna happen and 
the world's going to go to shit. But things things do happen, upheavals do happen, and the world doesn't go to shit. It still continues. You still have to go to work, and you still have to do all this shit. Like, I just think surprisingly things would carry on as normal for most people. Um, yeah, I don't think civilization as you, we know it would break down. Yeah. I just think there would be a period of intense yeah. upheaval and rioting and violence and stuff do, like that. Do you that. think if, like, they arrived... I don't think it would be like how it is in movies. Like, for instance, Take Arrival. I don't think it would be like one turns up in like all the major countries. I think one would arrive somewhere. Whether they've decided that based on the population of that place or the atmosphere, like this has got like a strong body of water or whatever they right. need, whatever they are used to. We don't know why they would end up there. I think it would just be one. Like, you know, do you think people would like flock to it? Of course. And There'd be would... millions of people that yeah. are desperately trying to get across the globe to be in the presence of this alien craft. Wow. And that's going to cause its own problems. Because if it's just in like, say it comes down to the Sahara Desert for yeah. whatever reason, millions of people go there while well, there's no infrastructure ready to accommodate them. So hundreds of thousands of them are going to die from thirst and hunger and heat stroke. It's going to be, you know, they arrive in like tragic. The, yeah. They arrive in like the Sahara and then the first things they see are like lions and shit and they don't see people. They're waiting for people to arrive, yeah. but they don't see people. Where like, are these fleshy and they just, humanoids? Because they don't see people, they just leave. <laughs> I guess we got it wrong then, Jeff. Turn us around. Back to Alpha Centauri. Wouldn't that be funny if they did? Like, it, I feel like it wouldn't be as convenient as it is in movies. It would be they arrived, like, over the sea or, like, in the mountains or the Sahara. Like we said, like, it would be, it wouldn't be as convenient as, oh, they arrived in D.C. Like, you know. Well, maybe, but the thing is, if there was an alien presence in our orbit if they were basically just watching us from afar, it would be pretty easy for them to figure yeah. out what makes us tick, like how we're organized, how we respond yeah. to different things. We're not an inscrutable enigma of a race. We're very simplistic animals in certain ways. And so all these weird alien sci-fi movies where the alien invaders come and they're so surprised by the way we respond are so silly because if they have the technology to travel across the galaxy or the universe itself they'll be able to analyze a very simplistic mm. animal species like humans and i was gonna say i don't think anyone's just gonna happen upon us because of the way space works yeah. but at the same time if things like those wormholes and things were real what if you did just kind of pop out of one of yeah, them? Yeah, you don't and you know were, where you're going to you end were, up. You're already in our atmosphere. Like, what if, <laughs> you know? Well, the idea is that black holes are linked. into, So there's not a black hole in our atmosphere. Yeah. there are, There's this idea that there might be a supermassive black hole at the center of every galaxy, but we can't be yeah. sure of that because you can't see black holes. You can only see the effect they have on their surroundings. You can see how little I know about this. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, if I in any way sound knowledgeable on this subject, it's a complete mm. facade. It's a complete pretense. I'm very uneducated, but I do find it fascinating. Yeah. And it is easy to get dragged down the Wikipedia rabbit hole of reading about all this stuff or yeah. watching documentaries on Netflix or whatever. Yeah. Wow. I feel like we'll revisit this so often because it's really, 
you have to kind of, like I said, I'm not like an active, I don't actively think about this type of thing all the time. And to revisit it and to kind of like make yourself wonder about stuff like that when it is hard to kind of like comprehend. Um, and there are like little new things happening yeah, all the time. There's always like, new developments yeah, so in the scientific community. It is kind of fascinating to see where your mind will take you. Of course, some people's minds just hit denial. Yeah. No, there is no, there is not even space. <laughs> the earth is flat. There's no gravity. Like, yeah. <sighs> I think, like you said, it is important to contemplate these really mind blowing ideas mm. sometimes just as a, mental exercise to probe out how you feel about these grand philosophical subjects and their potential implications it's nice to see how far your imagination can take you yeah when you're trying to think of what like other worlds might be like or what other lives might be like um obviously i feel like it gets to a point where you can't really imagine anything else yeah and some people can obviously imagine a hundred different ways of the way things might be. It's just so interesting in a way to think about how insignificant an individual person is. They're just one human in a vast sea of billions. And when you think about how, in a, in a sense, limited the human brain is, we have supercomputers already that way outstrip it in terms of narrow computing power. But at the same time, it was individual human brains that have unlocked or started to unlock the secrets of the universe yeah. it was an individual human brain or a collection of them that figured out gravity that figured out that the sun doesn't revolve around the earth it's the other way around that figured out all these very mysterious complex scientific facts and there are people out there that have like a real fully fleshed out comprehensive image an idea and understanding of the cosmological universe in their heads yeah and that's just that's mind-blowing the idea that a puny human brain could you know the greatest scientist among us have such an incredible understanding of the world yeah i feel like we'd all be capable though but it it's something that you'd have to kind of like stretch from an early age you'd have to kind of start letting your brain exercise in that way from from a young yeah. age if you it's like trying to learn a language when you're older it's harder your brain just doesn't want to do what it could do at age five you know i think that's a good point you have to foster that mental pliability you've got to kind of cultivate that sense of the imagination constantly pushing against the limits of what can be imagined and if you don't do that at a young age, people do just get locked into those very specific, those very narrow ways of thinking. And like you said, it can be very difficult to knock down those walls once you get older and set in your ways intellectually. Mm. As we've been talking about this, I keep thinking <coughs> about this sci-fi movie idea. Like mm. you had your Planet of the Statues <laughs> and I've just come up with my own screenplay that yeah. I'm going to pitch to Hollywood people people in the know the moguls tell me so instead of a alien race coming to make war with us in order to steal our resources they want to come and destroy us and knock down our buildings and whatever what if they just 
they're like I said, so advanced that they have, and they must be because they can come here. But what if they're so advanced that they just see us as ants that aren't even <laughs> worth the effort of engaging militarily? They just instantly appear with their like thousands and thousands of spaceships and they just use their tractor beams to strip out all the resources from earth and then they just disappear again in a blink like it's just a drive-by theft imagine what consequences that would have what implications how that would affect the way that we view ourselves as humanity we would have such a inferiority complex going forward we think of ourselves as so weak and defenseless and puny and just yeah I think that would be... <laughs> That's pretty crazy to think that <clears throat> if someone, if they find us, we might just be nothing more than ants to them and they don't see us as any kind of intelligent life form at all. They're so far ahead, so different to us, so alien and just not a big deal that they're just like, whoop, gone. <laughs> <laughs> Took your gold, we're gone. Yeah. Took your iron, we're gone. Came back to grab your carbon, now we're gone. Yeah, that is an interesting idea. Don't you go stealing it. <laughs> You're going to see it in the in That's movie my copyright, even though I haven't started writing the screenplay. <laughs> so, yeah, that was an interesting, was. interesting topic. Do you want to give us the next one? Shall we move on to the, the final article? The final. Every time. Mm-hmm. Everything's like a song. Like clockwork. When are you going to learn? I feel like I'm never going to learn. Yeah. I'm you need to start singing with me and then pedagogically you're... resistant. No. Sure. Okay, so the final <clears throat> article is on the New York Times and it is entitled What would you do with an intruder at the door? And looking at it now, it has some weird capitalization. Like some <laughs> of the words are capitalized and then others are just randomly not, which is, you know, they're slacking over there at the New York Times this is what you've editing on. department. And <clears throat> this is, I guess you could call it an opinion piece. It reads more kind of like a autobiographical blog post where this guy recounts a story where he's alone at home one day and he's looking out the window and he sees this shady guy prowling the neighborhood looking at the houses and then the guy slips behind the author's house and starts looking in windows and starts testing the doors and whatnot it's clearly a would-be burglar and so the author writes how he had this moral conundrum where he said this guy's going to break into my house what am i going to do i'll have to defend myself he goes and gets a gun and at this point in the story he has to make the you know self-righteous disclaimer that he's very pro-gun control and he's against things like the death penalty and whatever, just to establish his, you know, virtuous liberal credentials. And he says, well, I'll, I'll read this part to you because I thought it was so fascinating and approaching beyond even self-parody that I, it, it really caught my eye and I thought it would be interesting to read on the podcast verbatim. So this is what he says at this point in his predicament. I tried to envision what would happen next. The police would arrive soon and handle things. But the intruder could break in at any minute. There would be a confrontation. If he was armed, I might have to shoot him. I might kill him. 
The voice of reason, the voices of my dear parents filled my head. If there was no other way, I should shoot him. The phrase echoed for me. If there is no other way. Then it hit me. There is another way. I could simply get myself out of the house. Then there'd be no confrontation. I sneaked downstairs, left through the garage door and waited on the corner of the street. Standing there, I realised there is nothing in my home worth a man's life. They are just material possessions. I can defend my life if called upon, or the lives of my family, but I don't need to defend my stuff by shooting someone. That's just crazy. End quote. And so reading that, reading this sententious proclamation of there never being any need to defend your home or your property, reading about this guy saying how proudly boasting even of how he snuck out of his own house in order to avoid a potentially violent confrontation with someone who was trying to burglarize him, someone who might have been planning to break in and hurt him. I just read this and was so flabbergasted and I thought it would be a good springboard to talk about the idea of self-defense and firearm ownership and the right of defending yourself and your property because I've seen a lot of this type of thing echoed. I've seen it parroted on a lot of different circles. This idea that you don't need a gun because you never need to defend yourself with deadly force in that way. You can always just extricate yourself from the situation. If you're mugged, don't think about defending yourself with a gun. Just give them your stuff. Just play dead. And like in this guy's case, if someone breaks into your house, you should cower and retreat from your own home rather than risk having to defend yourself. I just see that as such a abdication of your own human dignity, your own right to a safe home, your own right to possessions, your own right to protect yourself from someone who's trying to do you harm or your loved ones harm, that I can't condemn it in strong enough terms, basically. And so I thought, it, yeah, it would be interesting to talk about. <clears throat> First of all, I I think I've decided that this guy is totally making this up. Because <laughs> not that this couldn't ever happen. It's just virtue signaling, storytelling. But I feel like it was just like, oh, it was so perfect for him that he could just get out of the house and have this moral high ground of like, you know, nothing I have is worth a man's life. But second of all, He's missing the point completely in that you're entitled to a space of your own and that no one is allowed to come and take that from you. And you also don't know that he's coming to burgle you. He might be coming to kill you. Yeah, exactly. So you taking yourself out of the house is neither here nor there because he's just then either going to come back when you're in so he can kill you or he's going to go to someone else's house or he's going to chase you around the front of the house exactly you don't know what he wants like he's missing the point completely this guy is yeah not to mention the fact that as he's busy preaching to the reader how you can always just get out of your house he totally ignores the fact that what about everyone who lives in an apartment building like we don't live on the ground floor of our apartment building we can't just fling ourselves out of the window <laughs> rather than confront a burglar yeah. and so for most people or at least a good percentage of people that's not even an option as if it should even be contemplated in the first place yeah. it's completely 
cowardly and completely non-productive. But even if it could be done, for a lot of people, it can't be. I was going to say that. When when you were reading it, I was like, that's not true even in the slightest. Yeah. I also don't necessarily, despite what we've said, I don't think it's a bad thing to, like, flee a situation if you can. But I'm talking about in terms of the way he's talking about it, the way he's, like, you know... Never defend yourself yeah, or your home. Yeah, this was the best option because you shouldn't... You shouldn't have to defend or you sh- you shouldn't feel like you need to defend because it's just stuff. Like, yeah. that's that's completely, yeah, I don't understand this guy. He's got, like, no sense of, I don't know. I feel like someone coming in and, like, taking your home like that, that's such a violation. Yeah. And if that was me, yes, I would want to try and avoid horrific things happening. But at the same time, I kind of like that whole law of, like, being able to defend yourself. Your home is your castle. Yeah, like, and being able to defend yourself in your own home. Like, that's a must. Of course. That's an absolute must. Yeah. Because what are you going to do? What if someone burgles your home every day? Are you going to leave your home every day? At that point, can it even meaningfully be said that you own that home, that Mm. it's your possession, it's your home? Because other people have imposed themselves and basically taken it from you. And so if you can't defend your property, especially in terms of your home, how can it reasonably be said that it's your property? You're basically just holding on to it until someone tries to take it from you and then you're going to roll over and give it to them. It makes no sense to me. You're setting a precedent that's so dangerous because it means... If people won't defend themselves, the strong will constantly and brutally take advantage of the weak, will take things from the weak. And so that's why I see this as so morally repugnant, because this guy had the luxury, if you want to call it that, of being able to leave in that situation. But so many people find themselves confronted by a burglar or a violent attacker and don't have that ability to retreat. They don't have that ability to extricate themselves from the predicament entirely. They have to employ some kind of force, whether that's with a gun or whatever it is. And so I just see this as so like, good for you, dude. Like in this very narrow situation, you were able to get yourself out of there. He basically just wants to brag that he... A, saw the guy coming, which that's not, like, never going to happen again. No. Like, how likely is it that you're going to see someone about to, like, attack your home? And you're definitely not going to see it if you live in, like, an apartment or something, or you're asleep. Like, how many, like, burglaries and stuff happen at night when the people are asleep? Of course. And you have no way of getting out. Like, they're there at the foot of your bed, and you've got to either defend yourself or just get killed. Yeah. Maybe even get killed anyway. But at that point, you've got nothing left to lose. Like, <sighs> It's the principle <clears throat> of the thing rather than... Yeah. I mean, this guy can say, like, nothing in your home is worth dying for but it's the principle of you should be able to defend yourself and your things and your home rather than me saying well i'm going to pull out a gun and shoot someone Mm. to stop them stealing my tv it's not about that it's not about the individual possessions it's about you should have the right to defend yourself when needed and however needed i think there are definitely situations where it's like you know you might be able to like get out of these things unscathed and you should 
you know, you should do as least as possible to just of get course. it over with. Yeah, I'm not saying that yeah. you should always jump to the far end of the scale, go straight to DEFCON 1, yeah. go straight to 10 out of 10 in terms of how much force you're applying. If a burglar breaks in and you are there waiting for them with a gun and they put their hands up, I'm not saying you should then employ lethal force and shoot them in the head. That's a completely yeah. different situation. It all depends on the context and what is unfolding before you but he's not saying any of that he's not saying like in certain situations there are several options he's just saying like the importance of me having a space means nothing yeah because i would rather just get out and not kill someone like that that to him where it was his only kind of option it's if you read the whole article it's very kind of He's sermonizing about the ethical value of quote unquote keeping your hands clean. Like he, if I remember correctly, even ends the article with this really gross, laughable mm. phrase where he's like, and that night I got to go to bed knowing that I still haven't killed another human being. And it's like, that's not what this is about. People that are trying to defend their home from violent attackers, you shouldn't be implicitly chastising them by saying oh god you took another human life yeah. look at you because no one wants to be in that situation but when you're in that situation you have to be able to do what you need to be able to do to protect yourself and your loved ones i think also like like i said you don't know he might be coming to kill you yeah. like and you're just worried about i don't know what you'd be worried about that obviously i'm not saying you know that you it would be terrible if you had to, like, shoot someone and they died from of it. Of course, but, it'd be traumatic and horrific. at the same time, this stranger's coming into your home and trying to take your your life. Potentially your life, In yeah. whatever way. You don't know. Yeah. He, he's either coming to, like, violate you or he's coming to kill you. Yeah. And neither of those things are good. And neither of those things are deserving of any kind of sympathy at this point. Because I feel like you... As a burglar or a stalker or killer or whatever it is that he's there to do, like they've already crossed that line of like I could get, especially in America where like homeowners have like guns, like it's not uncommon for that to be a normal thing. Um, you've got to understand as a like burglar or a stalker or whatever that you might. It's very likely yeah, you could get shot. The gloves at. are off at that point. Yeah, not even shot. Like. Plenty of people sleep with a bat beside their yeah. bed, ready to to beat on someone who's entering their home. You know, and it only takes one hit to kill someone if yeah, you hit them on the head or whatever. And so I feel like... You can punch someone and they can hit their head on the curb and die. And like exactly. Anything can be lethal. They've already, in a way, kind of said to you, I obviously don't care about about my life as much as, you know taking something from you and so that's not me in any way saying that person deserves to die but you know that's not what you should yeah, be thinking they about don't in this deserve situation. Like, our sympathy i'm definitely not thinking about not wanting to kill someone if they enter my home i'm thinking about not wanting to get killed yeah and that's what's most important to me that person by breaking into your home and like you said that's such an intimate scary threatening you'd never violation. feel safe in your home again yeah by doing that, they have put you in fear of 
potentially being killed. Yeah. That's not unreasonable by any stretch of the imagination. There are so many stranger murders in the world where people, for no apparent reason, break into someone's home and violently rape and murder them and their family. That is completely a real thing. There is a long and full precedent for that. And so if you break into someone's home, like I said, you are putting your life in jeopardy. You don't deserve any sympathy. If a person wakes up in the middle of the night, they're the homeowner, and it's dark, and there's someone in their room, someone with a ski mask, dressed in all black, Mm. just looking at them in a menacing, kind of imposing way. That person is completely justified, in my mind, and in a lot of jurisdictions, to employ lethal force in order to remove that threat to them and their loved ones. That's, in my mind, unequivocally justified. Yeah. And that's why I think that private citizens should be able to own firearms. I agree. I mean, that's just, to me, it just seems so obvious and so fundamental. If you can't defend yourself against invaders of your home... You can't defend yourself. I mean, yeah. it's as simple as that. When you, If the law prevents you from defending yourself from a potentially violent invader of your own home because you don't have access to a firearm with which you could defend yourself with, that to me is a absolute outrage. That is a positive moral evil. Because when you think about a... Let's picture a small woman at home alone. If a large man breaks into the house and she doesn't have a pistol on hand in order to even the odds, she basically has no way to defend herself Mm. from that much stronger, much larger, much more violently capable attacker. And so to me, it's just disgusting, the idea that people, especially in this country, although there is some small prevalence of, say, shotgun licenses, but for the vast majority of people, they are unarmed because of what the law says but the idea that that hypothetical woman has to be completely defenseless completely vulnerable because the law says she can't legally own a firearm for her own protection to me it is just beyond the pale it is completely reprehensible it's terrible that you can't even like carry certain things either oh yeah like pepper here spray. it's ridiculous you can't carry pepper spray no. you can't carry anything to defend yourself really i mean you will be the one who gets punished you will be the one that gets put in prison a young woman alone at night in england if she's walking home down an unlit road if she is caught with a small canister of pepper spray she's the one that faces a prison term because she's trying to defend herself against a potential rapist i mean it, it it is if it wasn't so disgusting and terrible it would almost be a laughable farce yeah. but yeah. this is why i don't go out at night yeah. alone <laughs> that's why i and i think a lot of other people around the world envy the united states for its second amendment yeah. that will never go away we are now past we are now way 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 past the tipping point there's no way that the right to own a firearm can be revoked in america because there are, there's something like 300 million firearms in circulation in America. So there's no way that the government could initiate some kind of forcible recall of all privately owned guns. It's just impossible because there's just no way. Yeah. And you can't say, 
I'm going to give up the right to be able to defend myself in my own home because allowing guns means crazy people are going to have guns to kill people. Like, that's not the way anyone should live. And especially since there are, like, shit people, we know there are people that murder. We know there are people that rape and kidnap and do terrible things. Um, Especially if you live in a neighbourhood where there's, like, burglaries and, like, high crime. Like, you should be able to defend yourself. That's really what it comes down to, and that's really what people are trying to take away. You don't have the ability to defend yourself, then what, you know... You are in a, you are in an infinitely vulnerable situation. You're basically saying like you just got to wait for something to happen yeah. to you, and just hope for, it doesn't. Yeah. Basically, it all comes down to the capricious roll of dice that fate allots you. You might go your whole life without a violent burglary, mm. or you may not. But if it happens to you, you better just take it because you've got no other option. And then the only other option is to try to avoid things. Yeah. Like like this you know, guy, basically. Yeah, you could like, yeah, you could like slip out of your home and then like you could maybe not ever enter a neighbourhood that has high crime. Never you could walk not go out at night on your night, own. Yeah. Like you could try and do all these things and then you could still get burglarized. And what type of like, life is that anyway? Yeah. It's such a diminished way to exist in this world to constantly be engaged in that practice of risk avoidance because and you kind of would have to because you can't defend yourself also just because something makes you feel safe doesn't mean you're just going to use it like easily like okay like i've got a gun to defend myself but i'm not going to get out and play with it i'm not a dumbass like there are people who are that dumb though but again you can't not have yeah, something of course, of course, I agree because of that. the few idiots there's so many people in the world not everyone's going to be the same and so if the majority are like no i need this to defend myself and i'm a normal human being who could understand the right from wrong we shouldn't be punished because of that minority yeah. group of people that want to fuck about like but i would be <clears> amenable to something along the lines of and i'm just spitballing here but say like if you want a car, you have to prove that you're capable of operating a car safely yeah. before you're granted a license. Maybe if you want to own a handgun, you have to go through a one-day course yeah. where they show you firearm safety and they show you how to store it safely and they show you how to reload and they show you how to carry it safely. Like, all that stuff. You basically have to just sit there and be instructed in all these yeah. things and then you get your firearm license. I that, to def- me, is yeah. completely I am fine. definitely for, like, some kind of gun control. Like, I don't think... I think gun... I'm not, like, anti-gun. I think you should be allowed to have a gun in your own home to defend yourself whatever um but i am for some kind of gun control. well everyone in the whether, extreme is for some type of gun control yeah whether i don't that's want like, people to have mini guns or rocket launchers yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah that was really i'm sorry weird. for disrespecting yeah you, you really have you're taking me off <laughs> i the just tracks. saw a picture of arnold schwarzenegger holding his like minigun that he ripped off a helicopter and him saying i'm not for gun control i should be able to own <laughs> this yeah I, really, I can't get back to what yeah. I was going to say. You took me off the tracks. I sabotaged you. Yeah. I knocked the train off the tracks in order to steal its payload. Pretty much. Its cargo. It was the great train I didn't have of... a gun to defend myself. <laughs> From this fort <laughs> hijacking. Well, gun control is an interesting question, especially in the US, because there's such rampant 
radical dishonesty in terms of how people who are pro some people who are pro gun control frame the arguments i mean when people talk about an epidemic of gun violence in america they are employing wild hyperbole i think the numbers are and you'll have to bear with me because i'm remembering from the last time i looked but the numbers are sunk along the lines of there are 11,000 firearm homicides in the u.s per year that sounds like a lot and certainly every person who dies unnecessarily unjustifiably because of gun crime is a tragedy i don't want to sound callous about that in any way that's something that should be prevented if possible but keep that eleven thousand people number in your head Thirty-five thousand people die in motor vehicle accidents and it's something along the lines of five hundred thousand people die every year because of smoking related deaths when you look at the scale we're talking about in terms of firearm homicides, to describe it as like this unbelievable, uncontrollable, mm. like just like a disease, ridiculous yeah. plague on the land is just so preposterous. It can barely even be countenanced as a serious argument. Mm. And then when pe- when the gun control people say we need stricter controls on um assault weapons on assault rifles and whatnot because they're so dangerous when you actually look at the statistics handguns the simple humble handgun accounts for something like 60 or 70 percent of all firearm homicides and so you know they're wildly overstating overestimating the effect on the role that long guns play in gun crime yeah and so yeah i just think you have to be honest about what's going on here People have the right to defend themselves. And in the modern world where people who wish to do others harm, who wish to commit evil, who wish to commit the most heinous acts imaginable, have access to guns, people who need to defend themselves in turn need to have access to guns in order to put themselves on a level playing field to be able to employ reciprocally the same level of force. I agree. Because you can't defend yourself against someone with a gun if you don't have a gun. You don't have a gun, It's as simple as that. You bring in a knife or a bat to a gunfight and you're destined to become like Swiss cheese. Oh, bad Swiss cheese. (laughs) Mucho bullet holes. (coughs) You know what I'm talking about. Are there any laws here where you can have a permit to carry? You can't carry, no. I mean, there's like extremely extremely limited circumstances i think you have to be issued a permit from the home secretary themselves it's like basically for you know it's really rare boundary cases like you know the bodyguards of foreign dignitaries or foreign heads of state they are given these very exceptional permissions to carry weapons in order to protect the people Mm. they're supposed to protect but the average citizen no I mean, the average citizen can own firearms here in the UK in very narrowly confined circumstances. Basically, anyone with enough money and enough patience for the Byzantine bureaucracy you have to go through can get a shotgun license and get a shotgun. But even then, there are like crazy rules. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just very onerous stuff. Like you have to have very specific types of gun safes they have to be drilled into a 
load-bearing wall or something like that. I mean, it's just the most absurd nanny statism when it comes to that. Um, They can come and check to make sure that your weapon is secured safely and all all that type of thing. Imagine someone coming round just to, like, check. How are you doing, chap? I've just come to check on your shotty. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I mean... People do way underestimate how many guns there are here in the UK, legally owned guns. There are more people than you'd think that have shotgun licenses, especially in the rural areas. It's not uncommon for people, you know, farmers to own a shotgun. Um, But yeah, it's it's ultimately a tiny fraction here. Whereas in America, firearm ownership is incredibly pervasive and widespread, obviously. Well, you can just go to shops and buy guns like, shops you know what i mean yeah, like, got, you yeah. just, like walmart like, has like a like you could would buy rifle other section. things you could just go and buy a gun um which is pretty insane I mean, you can't just pick it up that day there's waiting periods and there's paperwork and stuff like that not according to the movies not according to the movies <laughs> it's got to be strange for like americans especially you know you know people who are like Pro guns or whatever. I don't really true blood patriot. I don't really mean. like that saying, but I don't really know how to say it. But bold eagle keeping. Yeah, and they come to somewhere. Maybe they move here and like yeah. the law. Even seeing for some Americans, seeing the police officers without guns is weird. I imagine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it must be a bit of a shock. I imagine. I mean, the thing is, gun control in taken to its extreme is always going to be a fantasy because you can't uninvent the gun from the face of the earth. A gun is ultimately a very simple tool. You can make a gun out of the most crude, like, you know, a metal tube and a nail, and you've essentially got a very simple sip gun. Even bullets much harder to make obviously but you can make your own gunpowder and that type of thing you can fashion your own bullets ultimately and even things like you can 3d print your own handgun if you want all you need is a nail to act as the firing pin or people have carved rifle receivers out of wood for an ak-47 things like that the idea that you're going to completely remove the capacity of the firearm from the populace altogether is a fever dream (laughs) Obviously, they've had a lot of success in places like the UK, but that's because, in my opinion, there is this philosophical undercurrent in the general population of begrudging civility, where you see people celebrating the fact that there isn't private firearm ownership here in the UK. They they think it's, you know, look at the Wild West over there in America where everyone's dying from mm. drive-bys and stuff like that. Isn't it so great here that we can't defend ourselves? They find this way, this cognitive dissonance way to somehow see it as a good thing that they've been denied the means to protect themselves and their families and their homes. But has it ever been like that here where guns were more... Yeah, I mean, of obviously years and years and years and years ago. It's not even like years and years ago. It's like 50 years ago. Really? Yeah. So you were saying there's no way to kind of like have that kind of gun control. But if we did do it here, then there is. No, but what I'm saying is you can't like a lot of criminal elements in the UK still 
either have real guns, which they, you know, illegally ship into the UK, mm. or they make their own guns. Yeah. They convert airsoft pistols, or they just fashion them, like I said. All you need is very basic metalworking skills and metalworking mm. equipment. And you can fashion not even just a crude zip gun. You can fashion a relatively powerful submachine gun type gun with just a few sheets of metal and a little bit of know-how. Like, it's not hard to do. It will always be a possibility if someone really wants to do it. Do you think then that the amount of, like, gun crime and stuff isn't different because there's more guns, but it's different because the culture's different? Like, in a way, we might say America's not that much different from England, but... Actually, it kind of is when you get down to, like, being on the street. Like, it's completely different. And so maybe that has something to do with it. There's no doubt that if you have a quote-unquote gun culture, such as there is in America, where in popular culture it is completely pervasive, the image of the gun, of owning the gun, of carrying the gun, etc. And if you also have the corresponding level of people owning guns in person there's going to be more gun violence. That's just an obvious There's also way more people fact. there. Like That's true. But got, even uh, per capita, they have more gun violence. Uh, so take an account of the fact that there's, there's a, whatever, three or four times multiple uh, of people there. There's still, percentage-wise, more gun violence there. I just don't see that as an argument to deny people no, the yeah, ability to protect either, themselves. No, yeah, me either, me either, me either. I think it's, like I said, infinitely regrettable. Everyone who dies in an instance of gun crime, who was just minding their own business and got caught in some kind of gang altercation, every single death of that sort is an unbelievable tragedy, of course. But at the same time, trying to prevent that is not a good enough reason to disarm the populace in its entirety. Because like I said the criminal gangs will still find a way to access guns illegally or they will fashion them themselves. And then there will still be gun crime. It will just be much more underground, much more hard yeah. to track and deter. Or not just that. If, like, somehow they did kind of manage to kind of get rid of guns to a certain extent, criminals and, like, gangs and things and people who are kind of, like, causing this, like, high gun crime... That kind of crime is still going to be there, but it's going to be done with other things. They're still going to like rob places. They're still gonna, they're still going to be fighting. They're just going to be fighting with other tools. Yeah. You know, there's going to be more knife crime, and there's going to be um, maybe bombs will be used or whatever. Like yeah. that something will replace guns. It. It's not like, oh, let's get rid of guns and we'll get rid of crime. It's let's get rid of crime. Like, you know. There's also that element of if a population is disarmed, they have no real way to counteract any kind of government tyranny. And that's obviously one of the reasons behind the Second Amendment, this idea that the government will always have to fear the people in terms of if you are ever too draconian and heavy-handed and tyrannical and try to establish some kind of dictator the people will always have this last recourse of resisting with force resisting with violence so here where the police are armed and where 
government controls the firearms themselves. If they all of a sudden turned around tomorrow and said, everyone has to do X, Y, and Z, like this very disturbing, tyrannical command, all we can do is protest. All we can do is say, we don't want to do that. All we can say is, we'd prefer you don't do that. Whereas if the same thing happened in the US, they have the ability to actually resist. They have the ability to meet government tyranny with very widespread armed resistance. I want the ability to resist. (laughs) (laughs) So do I. And that, I think, is not to be understated. And I mean, people who say, make this ridiculous argument of, that's just a pipe dream. You know, the United States government has fighter jets and they have this incredible military technology and they have warships and they have tanks and they have missiles and whatever it is. A bunch of people with assault rifles and handguns are never going to be able to effectively resist. A, that completely ignores the long history of guerrilla warfare in resistance to an occupying force. How is it that the Afghans were able to repel tanks and missiles and fighter jets and stuff like that when they were hiding in caves with rusty AK-47s? There's always going to be a way to resist if you have a certain level of armament at your disposal. And secondly, you don't kowtow a population into fear by running over their homes with tanks and destroying their schools with missiles. That's destroying the population Mm. itself. If you want to control them, you have to have boots on the ground. You have to have men with guns patrolling the streets, making sure that the directives are followed. And in that case, you can resist as a person with a gun in your home. And so, yeah, even if it is just, and it always will be, a hypothetical, a thought experiment, if you will. I think it is important that the population have access to arms in order to potentially resist a super, super tyrannical, violent government that seeks to quash their rights, that seeks to treat them as slaves. Mm. That's not a moot point. That's not something below consideration for me. Yeah. Me either. (laughs) (laughs) I look over and you're pointing a revolver at me. (laughs) Yeah. I would totally have a gun if I was allowed to. Sure. A pink Hello Kitty. Yeah. Painted one. Of course. Those do exist, you know. Yeah, I know. I've seen pictures. People paint their, like, M16s with (laughs) My Little Pony decals. I was watching something and there was, like, a really tiny pistol, like, smaller than the palm of your hand. Like, one of those, like, putting in your purse type. Right. You say, like, a derringer. I don't know what that means. Did it have two barrels vertically arranged or was it like a no, tiny revolver no it was revolver? just like those tiny revolvers oh, okay, yeah. yeah yeah like a little snub-nosed revolver yeah like really small yeah, yeah. like this like choo 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 <laughs> is that I'm the like, noise it makes what kind of power does that got i'm pretty yeah. sure you could probably still kill someone with it but like yeah of course i mean uh, if you go up right next to someone yeah and shoot them in the head and you have something super <coughs> low powered like a 22 it doesn't matter how weak the bullet is you're yeah. still right up next to them so, but I was like, that's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, don't be that guy, Sam. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. <laughs> that's such a gendered term. How dare you? You should be saying, don't be that person. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But yeah, those little guns make sense for, you know, 
a woman to put in her purse as she walks yeah. home at night in a dodgy neighborhood. And yeah, I don't think she should be denied that right to defend yeah, herself. Neither. So yeah, we're in agreement. We're in perfect we're, yeah. alignment. In perfect harmony. I should have started singing so we could have harmonized, yeah. but I wasn't quick enough on the draw. Dropping the fucking ball. I would have been the worst gunslinger in the old west. I would have got into those shootouts. Three, two, one, and then they've got to shoot. So I'm like, D-. you said yeah. one. <laughs> also, is ready. it like do over? Is it like on one or like after one? Is it? <laughs> You're asking this as yeah. he's riddling you with bullet holes. <laughs> I don't understand the rules. Can we? Can we start again? <laughs> yeah, I'd be bad at that because I don't have fast reflexes. No, I don't either. <laughs> You need we, to just turn around before he says one. Pretty much. Shoot the guy you're dueling with Free and then also shoot. shoot the referee and then no one will know of your crime. Do you think there's crime. a referee of these things? Who do you think's counting down? Yeah, true. Although I guess in old fashion style duels, they did that like walk 10 paces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what if you just, just walk faster? Their hands over their gun the other guy takes really just... long strides and has a slow yeah. gait and you just like... <laughs> dart forward and sprint the 10 paces and turn around and shoot him. You Not a very good timekeeping time. ways. Do you have my little gun sounds? I do. Do my little trigger. You, sure. Doing the trigger thing. You just shut the mic. Yeah, well. Those are expensive. Stupid mic. Those are precious. <laughs> Those are sacrosanct in this podcast arena. Little blue yetis. Even though they're not actually blue. <laughs> yeah, that's just the brand. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, whatever. You get blue ones though, right? Um, I'm not sure. We've got the sexy black on black ones. Black on black. All black, baby. You can have it in any colour, as long as it's black. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so I think we're, as you yawn deflatedly. Yeah. Do think... we just fall asleep and start <laughs> snoring gently down there? There's another eight hours of us just... Ooh snoring and Ooh. making little cute noises in our sleep yeah you talk in your sleep you don't really talk well, you do sometimes do i sometimes it's not really in your sleep the way people might think oh he's talking in his sleep you act as if you wake up like to anyone that doesn't know you'd be awake but really you're asleep so you kind of it's more like sleep talking didn't you say once that I laughed in my sleep? Yeah, and it was super creepy and disquieting. <laughs> you were having some kind of intense dream. You know when someone's eyelids are flickering and you know they're yeah. having like super deep like REM I was doing this. dreaming? And then you just kind of giggled. It, I mean, it wasn't inherently creepy. Like it was a good natured like laugh. It wasn't like a horror movie yeah, laugh. Yeah, yeah. But just going from absolute silence to you just laughing yeah. out of the blue was I also feel like you told me I was smiling in my sleep once as well which is also creepy but I don't remember that who knows I might have made that up maybe I was smiling in yeah my sleep. maybe you were smiling yeah that's I'm, I'm kind of creeping myself out just by yeah. thinking about this you um, wake up and this was all a dream. You look over and I'm smiling in my sleep. Stop, no. It's getting super meta in here. I'm really fucking creeped out now. It's like a Cronenberg movie. I always creep myself out. Sure. I always do things to creep myself out. And I'm like, why did I just do that? Like, Oh, God. Do you remember I told you when I took the bins down to the, um, the, the, little, yeah, the little shed with the yeah. dumpsters in? 
at the very back of it it's quite there's no lights in the bin shed so oh, it's completely shadowy out. and in darkness but just barely i could see at the very back in one of the dumpsters there was a balloon oh, floating creepy. up from it and i came up and i told you about it because i know that that movie it yeah. scares you with the balloons and so I, I thought you would not have enjoyed seeing yeah. this. I also feel like I should tell the story of my balloon since it's on track. I watched the movie Frozen for the first time. As one does. Yeah, at some point. And then I came home and in we lived in an apartment building. And on our like corridor, there was a, you know, like those Disney balloons you can get. There was just like a Disney, fr- like a Frozen balloon. Like, I don't know if it was Disney, but it was frozen. It could have been a And knock-off. it was just, like, floating on its own yeah. in the corridor. And I was like, eh. Hey. You mean floating on its own? All balloons float yeah, on their own. That's not like, the it, supernatural yeah, but part. it sounds creepy. Um, so, first of all, it was creepy that I just watched yeah. Frozen for the first time. It was a weird and then, And this was, like, way after Frozen was released. Like, it was in recent times that this happened. And, um... And also the fact that there was just a balloon, which, of course, because of what you just said, because yeah. it, it creeped me out. Um, when I saw this dumpster balloon floating up above it, I was like, why did someone take the time? Because presumably they would have had to walk right to the yeah. back of the, the bin shed, put down the balloon string with the little weighted thing at the back of a dumpster and then let it float up. Why didn't you just, why don't you just pop it? stab the balloon yeah. and put it in a bin bag like everyone else? That's true. Why didn't they just pop Maybe it? they wanted it to be like a nice surprise for the yeah the garbage man. I doubt. But yeah, that's creepy. The balloon just says you're doing a good job. <laughs> Keep it up. Very condescending balloon there, yeah. so. In terms of doing creepy shit like before like bedtime, I will often like read. I'll go down like the Wikipedia rabbit hole of like Jack the serial Ripper. killers or something and i was reading something just the other day and i came into you and i was like i creeped myself out i don't know why you do it right before bed not a good <laughs> idea i also did it that time i was falling asleep on the couch like just after i was reading it and you went in the room and i opened my eyes and the the blind was up and it was night time and i really hate windows at night because you can't like see out of them you can just see black. And a face and can I just appear. And I always, always, always think a face is going to appear. And so I opened my eyes and really thought there was going to be a face there. Yeah, there was. And then there obviously. was. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and I shot him. <laughs> <laughs> right in the face. Yeah. And then it turned out to be my own reflection. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, yeah that's pretty creepy. I think we've rambled enough. Yeah, we have. So this is this <laughs> is time to do the it's do. time. You know what time it is. Tell the people what they need to know. What do you need to know? Listen up, people. You're about to be preached at. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, Please share it with anyone else you think may like it. And new episodes are released about two weeks after the last one, I'd say. You can find the podcast on iTunes and pretty much all of the podcast services. Or you can go to rtappodcast.com. That's A-R-T-A-T podcast.com which redirects to our soundcloud page and you can send any feedback or comments which are very 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 welcome to rtappodcast at gmail.com and lastly please rate review and subscribe on itunes which really helps podcasts like ours Um, and again if you want to follow us on any social media like instagram or twitter you can follow us at rtappodcast 
come check us out. Check it out. Check it out. We love your virtual friendship. We do. Completely no effort, non-committal, virtual <laughs> companionship. You get to see our new artwork. Oh, yeah. Should we talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah. So, um... Yeah. Yeah. So we we got some new artwork, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of it. Um, yeah, I, the artwork is interesting because we kind of brainstormed for a while what we wanted it to be. It's kind of hard to have artwork for a show like this because it's our show is not really about anything in particular. Yeah. It's about us talking about things. And so, so special. <laughs> even though, even though it seemed kind of narcissistic to have it just as our faces, it that yeah. is what the podcast is about. There's no point trying to be so yeah, humble and yeah. hiding that. And so, yeah, we found an awesome digital artist to work on it. Yeah, and, which and he was super down to create something for us. <laughs> and yeah, we're very happy with with the result. We wanted him to do it in a very muted grayscale in terms of the portraits of our faces and our clothes and then we had this idea of our colors are kind of sam is pink because she has pink hair and i'm blue because you wear blue a lot <laughs> and i have blue eyes yeah and so we thought it'd be cool to just have our hair and, our, yeah. and my hat as our but colors. it turned out so great yeah. like we really love it um, it really did turn out really well. Not to toot our own horns. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. if you want to hear more about this guy and his oeuvre, yeah. his body of work. You can find out in the outro. Yeah, listen after the music and you'll hear more details. Yeah, so stick around and you'll hear about him and be able to find out my words are coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so if you stick around, you'll be able to find out where to find him and stuff like that. But yeah, we. This sentence you, wasn't your most elegant. It wasn't. If you don't mind Look, me, I'm at saying, the fucking end, okay? Where like words just fall out of my mouth. There's like a little thought bubble, cartoon style, coming out of your head with just like the word food pulsating in I've, the middle of oh it. Oh my god, I feel like even my accent kind of gets a little bit more common when I when I get like sort of like tired and like i'm losing the will to live you start to slow your words uh, a little bit a little bit that's gonna happen all right when you do a as i get older marathon <laughs> endurance podcast such as ours yeah we're slowly that. pushing the boat out we're trying to creep towards the first six hour oh my god episode no i'd have to break the snacks i want a podcast so big that even compressed down it's a gigabyte <laughs> I want it to be unwieldily large. Yeah. No one's listening. No one's even listening to this, probably. <laughs> if you've made it this far, we salute you. <laughs> we do. And your stamina. I'm saluting you silently. You're doing a little... A little salute. A, every salute is silent. Yeah, well, whatever. Unless it's a 12-gun salute at your funeral. What the fuck? Yeah. It got dark and You took somber. it there, didn't you? You took it there. It got macabre. Mm. And that's a perfect note to fucking end on. <laughs> And we're, we're done. dead. We just shoot ourselves. What have you done? Suicide pact. <laughs> Whatever is a suicide pact, and I chicken out the last second. Yeah. I could just see myself being a part of something like that, and that sounds what? really dark. That's an incredible like a suicide pact, and I do it, but say. the other person doesn't. That's the that must be the worst because then yeah. not only have you shot them. 
but you're also mad at them for not coming through on their end of the deal. Yeah. So it's the worst of it's the worst of both everything. worlds. I think the person who's dead has got it the worst, though, to be honest. Well, <laughs> they've shuffled off this mortal coil at that point. They they've have no to more worries. Planet. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to the podcast. The music used during the intro and outro was kindly provided by Christopher from soundslikeanearful.com. And our podcast art was created by the talented Jake Contu, whose work you can find at jakekontou.artstation.com. See you next episode.